Welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill Athletics. Our goal today is to connect you with coaches from around the world to learn their journey, share their stories, and just figure out who they are and what they're all about. So without further ado, let's get on and find out what today's guest has in store for us. All right. Thanks again for joining us here on the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. Uh, you know, they're all fun, but this one's going to be real fun uh, for, I don't know, there's a whole litany of reasons why this one will just be fun. I just, uh, I can foretell the future right now. Please help me welcome, uh, I know we're doing Troy University two times in a row here on the podcast. We're not changing the format. We're just going to do it for this these two times, but help me welcome head coach and assistant coach from Troy University, Mark Davis and Michelle Clayton. And We've got a special guest star. If you're watching on YouTube, you've already seen her, but we've got a guest star. We've got Little Miss Maddie. Is that, oh, can I call you Little Miss Maddie? <laughs> we got to get a mic. Uh, I don't know if I want to get a mic hooked up to her, but we'll, we'll let it go. Uh, Mark and Michelle, thanks for joining us today. How are we doing? Great. Great. This is going to be, you. this is going to be fun. So if you haven't read the description yet, you, you, we're going to spoil alert this. So Mark and Michelle, uh, and if you haven't figured out because we have Maddie here, Mark and Michelle are married. So not only do we have uh, track and field coaches, but we have a family unit here. Uh, and I've, I've done this once before. So I had uh, Nicole uh, Farr Kramer and Eric Kramer uh, on the podcast early in the days. They were one of the, the early adopters. I really appreciate them. And the very first question I asked them is the very first question I'm going to ask you guys. So we've got a married couple here. How are you guys going to, who's going to talk first? How are you going to, who, who's going to talk over? How, how are we going to handle the, the communication side of it? <laughs> Whatever is the most appropriate to the question. Oh you my, know. that was the best PC answer. Wow. Non-committal answer. If, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, both Michelle and Maddie pointed towards Mark, by the way. So uh, I think we got our answer. We'll see what reality comes out to, but. We at least know what the intent is going to be. Correct. Correct. Exactly. I'm so uh, non-intelligent about things. I just now realized it's Mark, Michelle, and Maddie. It's all M's. Was that intentional? I don't know why. I just never noticed that until now. I I want you to guess which one of us had that idea. I don't know. Uh, I guess I'll I'll go with Michelle. Yes, exactly. My family, we were um, there's four girls, and we were all M's. So I had this thing that when Mark and I met, and it went to us being married. If we had kids, it was going to be an M. So oh, it was like we are. There was no discussion, is what I'm hearing. I'm not, not really. Not really. Did you hear what you just said? <laughs> yeah. That's off the table. That is, oh. uh, hey Maddie, that's on record. We have that. That's public knowledge now. So she announced that in the middle of the ocean this past summer, we went down for a day and just out of nowhere screamed, "I want a little sister!" And we mm-hmm. both were like, "Excuse me, no man." Yes, I want a little sister. You know, Maddie, I hate to break it to you. Christmas is already coming past, and you didn't get your present. Yeah. So sorry. And another year older. You'll have to be the center of attention for longer. (laughs) Forever. 
Well, this is uh, this is a great example of one of the reasons that I wanted to have you two on here. One, of course, is your coaches at the greatest university in the world. Anybody who's listened more than once has heard me say that a billion times, uh, but it's true every time I say it. Um, but also that as a married couple, that's a very interesting dynamic. So, you know, a lot of people listening right now are track coaches themselves, whether on the high school or college level. Uh, it's kind of hard to imagine your spouse being on the same staff as you. Uh, talk to us about what are some of the unique positives to having your husband and your and or your wife on the same staff as, as you? Well, I think the positives, pretty, pretty obvious with that. I mean, we're, we're able to do things and and kind of do it as a family, not, not as, not as it pertains to us, but with the kids, you know, it's like mom, dad, uncle Elliot, and, you know, just our big family of, of children. And it, it, it helps to have that dynamic. Um, you know, some will come to me, some will come to Michelle for the, the, the motherly advice and things like that. It's, it's just a, it's a good dynamic. And um, another thing too, is we're able to do a lot of things at home because we're always together. You know, we're able to, to talk about workouts. We're able to talk about what we're going to do at this meet. We're able to talk about travel, hotels, vans, meals, whatever. Like our brains never shut off when it comes down to it. So I, now that's also a negative at times because your brain is never shut down. You know, we're always, we're constantly thinking about this stuff, but I think it always helps when you have somebody that's in your corner day to day and we see, you know, everything that's, that's going on and, and we're, we bring it back home and we're talking about it. We're making sure that we're, putting these kids at the forefront of what we're doing. It, it sounds like the never ending staff meeting. Oh, absolutely. That, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, I think we're getting close to a hundred different uh, guests here on the connections and no one has ever said their favorite part of coaching was staff meetings. Right. Right. And it, it's, it's really not, you know, we're always talking about the logistical stuff and we're always talking about like things that are going to be extremely confusing when it comes down to it. And, you know, we, we have talked about it over and over and over and over again. Then when we incorporate other people and then other ideas come in, then it's like things, we think things are going haywire, but it's like, you know what? Somebody else has had a pretty good idea. That's kind of, they're, they're thinking outside the box a little bit. It's different than what we're thinking, but actually works. So let's go with that as well. So um, I think one of the great things about us, yeah, we're, we're able to, to have that dynamic, but then look from the outside too and let our coaches coach and, and offer suggestions and things. That's a good point. I see the advantages of, you know, having another, mem another member of your staff around you 24-7, right? Because you get to talk about a lot of things like that. Uh, but do you ever find yourself, I'm going to use the word click, maybe not a great word because you're a family, not a click, but do you ever find yourself clickish in the sense that you've already discussed it a hundred times over and now you have assistant coaches, which you have a lot of great assistant coaches. Now they're, they're brought into it and they have maybe different opinions. Right. <clears throat> I can speak on that because Mark's really good with, he'll speak with Elliot. Like if it's something I don't know. It just, there's different, I can't think of a scenario off the top of my head, but he'll talk to Elliot about it and get Elliot's thoughts. And then he'll talk to Riley and get Riley's thoughts. And then maybe six, eight hours later, when we're sitting on the couch, finally at nine, 10 o'clock, he'll say, all right, so I've spoken to El and Rye about this. What do you think? So he does a really good job, I guess, as the head coach, that makes sense. But 
he does a really good job of incorporating everybody where the three of us don't ever have to worry about that. It's never, well, Michelle's going to take care of that or, oh, he's not going to ask me. He really brings all three of us into the conversation. Um, so I, that works out nicely. And I do think that that's how you keep a staff positive. You know, you don't always want it. There, there are some times when things have to, a decision has to be made and you don't incorporate anybody else. You just do it and you move on and you, you hope that it's the right thing. But there are other ways where you have to get other involvement because, you know, track and field is a different type of sport. There's a million different events and a lot of different kids. I mean, we started this season with 107 kids on our roster across the board. So you, you have to be able to, to have other opinions. Otherwise, things aren't really going to work. And it, it's going to look like one side is favored over the other. And that's not what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to build a team. Yeah, I'm not sure many coaches, uh, I think some head coaches can certainly get to the head coaching level and have some success, but I don't think they can stay there and have sustained, sustained success if they're not utilizing their, their staff. If they're just trying to do 100% of the decisions, that, that, that typically does not last very long. Right. right. And, you know, I try to keep it open like that. Yeah. Do, do you feel, and maybe you don't have a... Um, a, a basis to relate this to, but do you feel you have to work extra hard because of it? Be, be, and it being, being, you know, going home with one of the staff, that sounds terrible. Being married to one of the staff. <laughs> I think at first, when I first got here, I thought about that a lot. You know, I didn't want it to seem as if the only opinion I was going to listen to was either mine or Michelle's because it, it's not going to work that way. And there's going to be resentment. And, you know, we all do a large portion, a, a large portion of the work. We all do from, from me to Michelle, to Elliot, to Riley, to the GAs that are here. We, we do a lot of work trying to make sure this thing stays afloat. Um, so, it, you know, like I said, the first couple of years, I really did worry about that just because of the situation. After that, you know, Elliot's been here the whole time, you know, it, Michelle obviously has been here the whole time. We've worked together for six years, seven years. And, you know, Riley was one of our athletes as a full-time person. So that helps too, because she knows the system. Um, the GAs, one of our GAs was on the team for four, three years, four years, but he's been around now for five. So he understands what's going on. Um, we have a new person that's in, that's just kind of flowed. But if you look at our, our people that we've had over the past couple of years, they, they've had a, a close, you know, they had a close relationship to the program and, you know, Camille Alexander, who is now at Virginia Wesley, you know, she was here from the time that we got here up until last year. So she knew everything just kind of flowed because we knew what we were doing from year to year. And I think that's, what's made it really work. So you mentioned the positives. What are some of the, you know, it's hard to say negatives, right? But maybe what are some of the things that you have to work harder on or that you find, um, you know, that, that aren't always the, the fun side of life? being a married couple who works together. For me, I'll tell you, it is the fact that, again, we can't, we don't get away from work. You know, we're, we're kind of, and that's the one thing I've, I've always said that, that, you know, people ask what the hardest part is. That is it. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, there are differing opinions of how, you know, a, a particular kid is, is, producing or things like that between the two of us. I mean, we, we talk about this kind of stuff. So um, not being able to get away with it or get away from it is the hardest part. 
at the same time, I think that's also what has, you know, made us better. That negative right there is what's made us, you know, what we are today. And we still have a long way to go, but we've, we've made, you know, big strides in the past six years. I think probably the negative, I'm going to put this on me, um, is I know Mark's brain never stops. He thinks about it all the time and he's always trying to figure out, you know, what to do better with a workout or a kid or a situation, academics, whatever it is. But he does a very, men are usually better at this, does a very good job of being able to kind of compartmentalize that and, and put it away. Like when we come home, I don't walk in the door at 7, 7.30 and the first thing Mark says is, you're not going to believe what so-and-so did. Da, 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 da. But the flip side is true. I am very much that way. If I, my brain never goes, goes off. I don't sleep. I, it's been that way my whole life. And I have to talk about it. So when I walk in the door, the very first question I get is, how was the weight room? I'm not good at saying, oh, it was great. We had three awesome groups today. It, I go through like all 18 racks that are in the weight room through my brain. And I'm like, well, so-and-so and so-and-so and one there and this didn't. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And Mark just sits there and he says, are you done? Oh, yeah, actually I am. I'm not at work anymore. <laughs> right. So I, it can be the, the negative of that part is I think more on me because Mark does a very good job. Like there's a lot of things. People don't believe this, especially the athletes. If something goes awry, you know, personally or academically or whatever it is, Mark does not tell me unless it is something one I ask about or possibly one of my athletes, but he doesn't, you know, say so-and-so fails a class. He doesn't pick up the phone and call me and say, Michelle, you're not going to believe this. I usually find out by either emails from academics <laughs> a week or so later, or I hear him and Elliot talking. And then I'm like, huh? what what you what you just say and he's like zip it yes sir yes sir yeah. so there are a he does a tremendous job of he truly is a, and i'm not saying that because i'm married to him that could be you know something that i would think is a positive but for us i find that to be a very very strong um positive that he's able to keep things really to himself because whatever I hear, whatever, he'll be like, what gossip did you hear today? And I'm like, God, that's horrible asking me. But I just, I listen constantly and I pick all this stuff up and I'll come home and just blah, 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 all of it out at him. And he's like, okay, can we eat dinner now? Oh, yeah, just, we'll come back to it later at war. Sometimes I won't even bring him back up again. So yeah. Michelle, and, and we're going to get into the history of, you know, how you guys met and, and everything, but you know, as you just, just described that, Michelle, that he does a good job. Do you think, is that in his nature to do, to be that way, that, that kind of um, compartmentalized leadership, or do you think he, because you've known him for many years now, has he really had to work towards that? No, that's, that's Mark in a nutshell. I think um, most people, like if we get to talking and I say that we're both actually under the surface, quite shy, people are like, you're crazy. You're not shy. Coach D, we can see that. 
So it comes off as shyness more for him that way because he just really internalizes, finds a place to put it and puts it there and deals with it. If somebody else has to be brought in, they get brought in, whether that's the athlete, another coach, administrator, whatever. But um, yeah, we're very different. And he's always been that way. Thank God. Because if we were both like me, mm, we'd have some problems. <laughs> yeah, I don't say a whole lot all the time. We, we would have uh, we would have done this interview one-on-one. We wouldn't have done two, two versus one if it had both been towards Michelle's personality. Couldn't have handled it. <laughs> Oh, definitely not. And it's tough. Um, it's tough being a coach, having an outside life, meaning outside friends who are not in the in the profession, right? Uh, it can be a little tougher, uh, even more so being in Troy, uh, being in a smaller community. Uh, do you, this is a terrible question. Do you have outside friends? <laughs> do you have non-athletic personnel friends? Yes. Actually, I was, that, that was not an immediate yes. And the face Michelle gave says that that might not be complete. No, no, no. So, <laughs> we, yes, I do because I, you know, I like motorcycles and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I have some people that have nothing to do with athletics that we go and ride together every so often, or we do, we do different things. So I have some people, not a whole lot now, because we don't have time enough to really do it in normal years. And, you know, in this pandemic year, I haven't seen them either. So it's, you know, yeah, we have some, we have some, but they're few and far between. I will say that. For your friends that are, um, I'm gonna call them couple friends. Like maybe you go uh, before COVID, maybe you'd go out on, you know, couples dates together and things like that. How would they describe you two's dynamic? Man. I think they know, well, they know we're very different. You know, I, I am, obviously, you know, this It's going to probably backhand me when I say it, but I am the quiet one more often than not. And, you know, like we, we kind (laughs) of, I guess I offset her. She offsets me and it, it, it works well. I mean, I think they know that enabled in order to be able to do this together, we have to love each other and we have to understand each other because otherwise this is not going to work. And if there was a, if there was a, a part of us that resented what the other person is doing, which is very easy to do in a coaching profession, this definitely couldn't have worked. It definitely couldn't have worked. So, I, I mean, I think that they, they know that the bond is strong and they know that, you know, we are very, very close people. and We're, we're very, very close in this relationship. I would agree. I hope you agree. Yes, I agree. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Hey, this is the Gill Athletics Connections Track and Field Connections podcast, not marriage counseling. Please. I was not, about to say the same yeah, Don't rely. <laughs> don't rely on me to help with that side of it. All right. Uh, I'll I'll make some phone calls, but uh, we don't want to go there. Uh, they they okay. call they call me the wedge. <laughs> I'll, I'll drive you yeah. apart. I don't want that. I don't want that. Remember, today's number one goal, I forgot to announce this from the beginning, today's number one goal is, you know, no divorces in today's podcast. That is the number one goal. If we can get past that, we're, this is going to be a great, great episode. I think we're good. Yeah, we're yeah good. we'll be all right. Been there, done that. Don't want to do it again. Okay, good. That's right. One and done. That's right. So what, uh, would your friends, 
do you guys, when you're out with other friends, non-athletic friends, do you talk about anything else besides track? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, I will t- I'll be the first to tell you, when I am not at the track and not with other track people, the last thing I want to do is talk about track and field at that point in time because it is a through the season, that's all we're doing. And I enjoy, look, I love the sport. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it for the last 26 years. I can't believe I'm saying that. But, you know, at the end of the day, there you have to have something else and you have to be able to talk about something else. And so, uh, I, know, I, know. I, I try to stick to that. My, my, no, no, go ahead. I was going to say my brain may be working, but, you know, I'm not going to actually spew out the track and field stuff with other people who don't even understand what we do. Mm-hmm. Because your- inevitably, one of the questions is, what do you guys do all yeah. Uh, all your non-track friends are thankful. All day, all year. Yeah. So I know one of those things yes. that you have outside uh-huh. of track is your motorcycles. Michelle, what do you have outside of track? Mm-hmm. God. <laughs> Mike, um, I work out. That's, that's my escape, basically. Um, I still operate on the, I don't want to ask my, I'm getting old, her older, not old, but older. Um, Stop. I still try to operate on, I don't want to ask my athletes to do anything that I can't do myself. So I kind of hold that over my head and make, it just kind of keeps me motivated so that I uh, stay somewhat fit. (laughs) But that's really, that's my escape. Um, even though I do talk a lot and all of that, I, I really am a loner. I like to be alone. And with this being with the little nugget and Mark and I being the true family dynamic and everything we do is together. Um, that's, you know, whether it's a three, four mile run or an hour, hour and a half lift, that's my time to get away. That's how I deal with it. So I don't have any expensive hobbies. Um, I just work out, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, before COVID, you know, I travel 130 plus nights a year. And so it was an adjustment for Amy and I, you know, my wife and I, and my two kids, uh, because, you know, daddy's been home. This is the longest streak I've been home in a long yeah. time. Right. Long time. But for you, was it much of an adjustment for you guys? I mean, you're, I don't want to say you're always yes. together because you are individual people, you know what I'm saying? But right. tell me more about that then, Michelle, because you were saying yes, pretty fast there. Yeah. It, I mean, even Maddie asks all the time, when are we going to be able to see Mr. Daryl, our bus driver? Um, I want to ride the bus. We've seen some. She's like, when do we get to ride a bus again? Just, and not that it's, I mean, 130 nights a year, you understand it. Not that hotel life is the most amazing, but good heavens, it's a nice change of scenery every now and then. And that's, COVID has hit us especially tough because, without going to mark is high risk. So we are, I mean, people are like, Oh yeah, we haven't done it. No, we haven't done anything. We literally, we did a couple day trips to the beach. Thank heavens. We're in an amazing part of the country that we can get to the beautiful Gulf shores very, very quickly. 
So we'd wake up at 536 o'clock and get down there and spend eight, 10 hours and come back. We did do that once a week there for a good little stretch of about six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but mask all the time, you name it. So we, when people are like, yeah, this is just so exhausting. We haven't done anything. I'm like, oh gosh, yeah. you have no idea. Wait, first time in 44 and 47 years, we weren't with our families for Christmas. So we definitely have cabin fever. So we're yeah. missing that traveling and and then you add the next dynamic of having Maddie around all the time too. You know, we're we're at work all day together. Maddie's not there. She's at school or, you know, and she was around all day. So we watched her grow since March every single day. Well, up until September, March through September, she's with us every day, obviously. So we saw a lot of the changes that a lot of people miss, you know, and it was just amazing listening to her speech clear up as she's, you know, getting older, watching her grow, getting taller. We measured it like once every couple months just to watch what was happening. And then, you know, once we got back to school and she's going to her own school, then it was like, what are Maddie's doing? What was happening? So you started to miss it a little bit. Now we're getting back into that normal phase. Then we went back into Christmas break. And now we're right back into it again where we've had her every day until tomorrow. She goes back to school. So that, that, that dynamic does change. And yeah, I missed, I, I miss being on the road, seeing everybody and, and being at meets definitely for sure. I'm looking forward to actually getting back to it. So it kind of helps break over the monotony of things, right? Like you mentioned the bus and things like that. It's like, well, no one's going to, not many people have ever said they look forward to getting on bus trips and long bus trips, but it's like, oh, well, you know, that's sometimes the best memories we have when we're talking to our teammates. And even though it's, you know, three, four, five, sometimes more, uh, you know, longer bus rides, it's like, yeah, that bus ride sucked, but boy, I really got to know so-and-so because of that. Yeah. 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 And just usually we at coaches usually the fall is the tough part like come thanksgiving you're like gosh we're so ready to compete we're tired of like racing each other throwing against each other just beating ourselves up mentally and physically day in and day out and now it's like even though you know everything's shut down and the kids were gone from march until august it just seems like that fall has lasted that much longer so Mm -hmm. january 15th Cannot get here fast enough. enough. Can't wait. (laughs) When I was coaching college track, I always thought the fall was the hardest part for kids, especially freshmen. Uh, Typically the Mm. freshmen we had played volleyball or basketball or basketball and football during the fall during high school. So they were always doing something. And then they come to college only running track and Mm It was like, yeah, see you in January, <laughs> you know, when we actually get to yeah. compete, right? And everybody, uh, you know, the competitors want to compete. Uh, so it's hard to keep them motivated, right, to, mm-hmm. to get to the indoor season and what have you. How have you guys as coaches stayed motivated when back in March, everything got shut down? There, was, there wasn't going to be an outdoor season. Didn't know what the fall was going to look like. We're still, you know, we're feeling much more confident now in January than we were even back in October, but there's still a little bit of uncertainty hanging over. How do you guys as coaches stay motivated to do the right things on a day-to-day basis back in July and uh, even as far back as, you know, April and May, how did you, how'd you handle that? It was, it was hard. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I think one of the big things that we did though, we, we segmented our days where we stayed in a routine in March when everything we, we, once the quarantines and everything, and we sent everybody back home, we felt sorry for ourselves a little bit, just like everybody else did. 
And then we just kind of got back at it. So, you know, every day, like I said, was, was we segmented the days where we're working in the morning. So we just went straight at recruiting. As soon as we got up, we did whatever paperwork we needed to do when we got up for Troy and just making everything as normal as possible without the practice end of things. Um, what it did was it allowed us, it allowed our minds to keep going. It allowed us, like I said, to keep recruiting and, and just making our team better. I mean, we ended up getting 42 new people during that quarantine. We, we, you know, a lot, some of them were walk-ons, a lot of them were, were scholarship kids, but you know, we were able to get some new kids in to fill some gaps that we had. And it was just because we didn't stop. And I know that, you know, some people just weren't on the grind necessarily the same way, but the fact that we're here and we, we knew we had to keep working and it's, it's just in our blood. We just kept going. That's how it kept us motivated. We're bringing in these new people. Okay. Now what's going to be the plan once they get here. And it, it just made us look forward and, and just keep looking forward to what we had, what we were getting and, and we had. So it was, it was, a, it was, it was hard on the mind and hard to take, but I think we did a good job managing it because we were excited when we started practice in September. You know, oh, yeah. it was a 6 a.m. practice, but I just remember not being able to sleep and just being giddy about getting back into it because I've missed it. You know, just the daily grind of practice, not just being on the phone. Did it, uh, did it help, hurt, or indifferent being married to people from the staff going through this? I think it probably helped. Yeah, it helped because we were able to do things that it wasn't always track-centered. Like I said, by the time noon, 1 o'clock came, then we would go and work out. We bought a rack and have some weights in the garage. So we'd have like a little gym in there. So we'd do that. And then after that, you know, we did whatever it, we felt like doing that day in our backyard or out in our driveway, driveway. like little pools and things like that. We, I mean, we just, we tried to make the best of that situation. Yeah. So. Sometimes you, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so if Michelle, if you were the coach of the family and Mark was a, an accountant, well, it'd be hard for Mark, the accountant, to know what you were going through, not being at a meet on Saturday. Like the, the, Mark, the accountant, might have thought, well, oh man, you probably love this, right? You get your weekends back and all this kind of stuff. And inside you're mm -hmm. like, yeah, but I, I like to see the kids compete and I like going to the conference meet and, you know, and Mark, the accountant's like, what are you talking about? Like, this is the best thing in the world for you. And you're like, you are crazy, Mark, the accountant. Uh, but instead yeah. with this dynamic, it, you guys got to go through it together, losing a lot of the same things uh, and the positives that come out of it, the time together and the time with Maddie and things like that. You guys got to go through that together, knowing what you both were, were missing because of the, the shutdown with COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure you heard from every other coach you've talked to on this podcast, like it's the first time that I didn't have a season since the late 80s, you know, like between March and, and, and July, I didn't know what I was doing. So used to being on a bus or so used to being outside at a track or indoors at a track, well, outdoors at a track and just seeing kids run, going on recruiting trips or junior nationals, whatever it was, just all that stuff was taken away. It was just, just a strange, strange feeling. Yeah. I heard lots of stories. That's how we kept up. Let's say that again. We would Michelle. be like, Oh, I said, that's how we kept up with the weekends. We'd be like, oh, we're supposed to be on a plane going to Philly for pen relays. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it was sad, but it was just kind of like, oh, we're supposed to be getting on the bus to go to Lafayette for conference. Yeah. And so like week by week, that's kind of, but though, you know, kind of wow, 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 woe is me. It also kind of kept us motivated. Like mm -hmm. I remember the week of uh, 
so what was supposed to be outdoor sunbelt, um, Mark sent an email to the whole team. And oh my, I can get the chills still like right now, just remembering that email. He, it probably took him two hours. Yeah. Probably two hours to compose because he wanted it to be perfect. And it, again, it wasn't supposed to be one of those things like poor us or anything. It was a motivator. Like, hey, this was supposed to, we had things lined up for this to be an amazing year. And our women are came off of a runner up finish. No. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Indoors. Wow. That didn't even sound right still. Um, and the men just, you know, all our ducks were in a row per se, silly cliche, but anyways, and it's just like, what are you doing right now to hold yourself accountable so that this time a year from now we can be in the same state. And it was just like, we got so many texts after that email went out, just these kids like, coach, I'm throwing, I'm in the weight room. I've built, I mean, we had kids making weights with like five gallon buckets and cement and just rigging things from their decks and ceilings. It was just, it was so cool just to keep that, that dynamic and keep those kids motivated. And that's one, just one thing that stands out in my head, you know, in terms of not losing them per se, when they're gone from you for holy cow, way too many months, five. Um, we had little things like that, that mm -hmm. he would pull out of his hat and it was just awesome to get the response. So we kind of kept that fire burning and that's been the focus all fall. Once we got them back here, it was like, thank goodness our family's back. Oh, I have all my kids here. Like, all right, I see your faces. We're all healthy. We're all here now. Let's, let's keep this ship going. So mm -hmm. it's been pretty cool. I love hearing that stories about the kids who are resilient, right? They, that something was taken away from them without their doing something wrong. You know, it's one thing if you do something wrong, something's taken away from you, right? But through no fault of their own, the season was stripped away from them, especially the seniors and such, right? Um, you know, you always want to go out with a bang. And so you, you planned for that and 2020 happened, right? Um, but I love the resilience of the coaches because the same thing, occurs with the coaches. I mean, the athletes, they're 18 to 22 year olds. They're, you know, they got 40 plus years of, to make up for what 2020 didn't happen. Right. Like they can figure out, out other things. Some of our coaches, you know, we're down to 20, 25 years left of coaching. Uh, and it's very easy to fall into that trap of, Oh man, woe was me. This was supposed to be my year. We coming off of a runner up. We were going to do better at outdoor or whatnot. And then let it spiral into 2021 and and, and on, you know, into the future. Uh, I heard so many stories of coaches uh, that utilize this time to not waste it. So they, they double down on their spouse or they double down on their kids or their parents, you know, who are in an age category. Uh, you know, I, I loved hearing those stories because it was like, oh, well, that's, that's what a real track coach is. A real track coach is not defined as someone who takes a hundred meter runner from X to Y. It's the lives that you affect in a positive manner. And if you don't have mm -hmm. your own athletes to affect that, well, a real track coach goes, finds other people to affect positively. Right. So their, their own family and things like that. So I love hearing mm -hmm. that story. That's awesome. Mark, when did you get the idea to write that seemingly impactful email? Was that a spark overnight? Was that something you had been planning for a while? Where, where did that come from? There was, there was like no thought at all before it happened. I was just, I was looking through stuff and I was, I just happened to be on my email and I just started composing it and wrote it to the team. And it was, 
I don't know. I felt like last year would have been the best season we had since we've been here. And, you know, I didn't want to let that, I didn't want to let COVID be the thing to not motivate the kids and not let them know, or, and let them know that I'm still thinking about this, even though I'm away from it, you know? And it was just a thought that I that just popped into my head. It wasn't something that I thought about prior to, like I was trying to forget about going into Sunbelt, to be honest, or any other meet for that matter, but you just can't do it as a coach. If it's in your blood, that's just what you do. So I just composed it, sent it out and, you know, and I wasn't looking for any type of response. Like when I say things to, to people, most of the time, cause I don't, I'm not a big talker to begin with, you know that. And I wasn't looking for a response. I just wanted to let you know that this is where my brain is. I hope yours is here as well. If not, we got a long way to go, but you know, we got some time to, to write the ship, you know? So did you, that was it. did the staff know about it or did they find out when they read it as well? I think I sent it to the staff too. I don't remember if I sent it to just the kids or if I CC'd you guys all on it. Honestly, but, don't think you did send it to us. I think it was right. just the kids. Okay. I think you talked, like, obviously, I knew you were doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think you talked to Riley and Elliot, but mm -hmm. I don't think you sent it to us. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that was just one of those things. It was just, honestly, I looked at it as just between me and them mm -hmm. at that point in time. You know, because I like, I do, we have such a big team. And, you know, I don't, like any other coach, you don't talk to everybody as much as you should but you try to touch them as much as you can. And that's, you know, that's what I was trying to do with that at that, in that moment. So, and I'm a very competitive person. So, you know, my competitive juices were still, were still there. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to really getting started and, and being able to send those when it really matters, you know, when we're getting ready to go into competition. So hopefully, hopefully we get that opportunity. When you can see an end result. <laughs> <laughs> from the from the letter when you can actually okay we got to meet this yeah. weekend let's go see what happens now <laughs> well let's uh this is fascinating i appreciate uh you know the openness and authenticity uh that you guys are sharing um you know i can't say thanks enough you know i'm so grateful that uh you know you kind of bare your souls when you're talking about this it's uh, it's, it's not an easy thing. So I really appreciate it. So let's, let's take a step back. Let's talk a little bit about your careers, uh, which inevitably led to you meeting. So I'll let you guys, I'm not going to get in this argument. I'll let you guys decide who starts on, uh, where they grew up, um, how they got into track and how do you think about getting to coaching for the first time? Right. You want to go? We'll let the, um, the older, wiser one go first. She lies about her age all the time. So um, I'm from a, a small town in Pennsylvania called Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philly. Um, track was the furthest thing from my mind as a kid. I mean, athletics was kind of the furthest thing from my mind. I was not an athlete when I was younger. And it was, it was one of those things I just kind of developed into athletics. I couldn't run, jump, throw a ball, nothing up to like the fifth or sixth grade. Not quite sure what happened, but things just started click, clicking and, you know, I started playing soccer, started wrestling, and I thought wrestling, and I played baseball when I was younger. So I got good at baseball, wrestling I was, I was very good at, and I thought that those were going to be the two sports that I was going to be a part of. And my uncle ran track uh, when he was in high school, and he always kept saying, you should try it, you should try it, you should try it. So I found out that our high school was going to get indoor track my ninth grade year. I was like 88, 
87, 88. And I started running indoors and loved it. Gave up on the wrestling because this was a lot easier on the body and a lot easier way to, to, to do a sport. And I really didn't love it. So, you, uh, so you that's how it. I got started. You loved it right off the bat. Yeah, I did. I did. I don't know. I don't know what it was. It wasn't that I did stellar in that meet. It was just I enjoyed the atmosphere and, you know, it's just something that I just wanted to do. I gave up on baseball, too, because I I'd started playing baseball when I was, well, T-ball, five and six and little league, you know, up through 15, 16. I played baseball and ran track in high school my freshman year as well, outdoors. So, um, but at, in the end, things were good with track and I, and I loved it. Loved every minute of it. So I stopped stopped playing baseball, and track was just what I did. I played soccer in the fall just to keep me in shape for it and started doing indoor and outdoor just all year round. What events were you focused in? Uh, sprints, 100, 200. I tried to throw the long jump in there once in a while, but it just wasn't what I was good at, you know. And um, I was running the one, the two, four by one, four by four on and, a regular basis. I never, go ahead. And where did that lead you for school, for after high school? I went to Lafayette College in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, he's a nerd. I was going to say that's the uh, that's the uh, I don't want to call it Ivy League Junior, but it's a very that's academic one hundred and one in the Patriot League, right? Is that the right league? I was, yeah. And that was the yes. first year, yeah, first year of the Patriot League. No scholarships, no nothing. It was right, strictly academic. So, um, yeah. So I mean, and it was a different experience for me. You know, it was. It was it was weird the first year. First year was very shaky, but um, I got comfortable in my own skin over the time period I was in school, which most freshmen do. I struggled my freshman year. wasn't used to being away from home. And for me, being away from home, I was two hours away. I was going to ask, wait a minute, how far so was that? Everything sucked. Pennsylvania is a big state, so it could have been a real far <laughs> It away, wasn't very far. But it was two hours. It was two hours. It wasn't far at all. It was just I had a hard time adjusting from – I had a hard time being out of my comfort zone. And I think in life, that experience going to Lafayette is the thing that has made me who I am and just being able to adapt to whatever situation I'm in. And because you had to learn to be comfortable with other people, not just in your own skin. Or first you had right. to be comfortable with your skin and then and then others. Right. right. Yeah. And then others. And and just the I was used to being in a very, very diverse place. Kenneth had a lot of different types of people in it. And Lafayette really didn't, you know, it was, you know, it was, I mean, Lafayette was a, was a very white school with not a lot of brown faces in it. Mm. So it took a little while to really get used to that. And I didn't think it would bother me at first, but it did. Hmm. And it was, it was just, a, it was a, it was a different atmosphere that I had to get used to. Um, but I, it panned out. You know, I ended up doing well there and, and it opened up a lot of doors, both, you know, academically and athletically. What were you majoring in and what were you thinking professionally, like for a career? Well, <laughs> I went in, <laughs> I, I thought I was going to end up being a bio major, uh, chemistry, I, because I wanted to try to do physical therapy once I was done. Chemistry had its own idea. So quickly <laughs> switched that thought <laughs> You know, it ended up, I was, I was a sociology major. Um, the whole time I was there, I mean, it was, it was, it was an eye-opening experience. It's like, when I talk to the kids now, that experience too, having a backup plan. Well, if this bio thing didn't work, what was I going to do? And I had no idea at the time. <coughs> and much like most kids now, they have no idea what they're doing either. 
but uh, I was able to adapt to that and, and be able to, to get through and, and do well while I was there. Um, stayed active in music while I was there too. So I tried to try to juggle both. It didn't always work out as well as I wanted it to, but. Now um, you, you throw that in there. We haven't discussed this yet. T- talk to us about this music side. Yeah, I, I played, um, I played sax all through elementary school, middle school, high school, played in college, jazz band in college and things like that. Um, different, different choirs that I was into. So, um, you know, do, do you still play today? I do. Every once in a while, I'll pick it up, especially when I'm stressed. Sometimes yeah. I'll go and grab start playing. A few weeks ago, we were blessed to have Michael Roberts on the podcast from Northwood University. And I was able to get him to play the guitar mm-hmm. on the podcast. What are the odds that we can get a little... It would be slim to none. Slim to none. Slim to none. Sorry, cut out. I didn't hear you very well. It sounded like you said it's 100%. <laughs> Slim to none. Honestly, I was just talking about that. I was, I'm planning to go get another sax actually, because the ones I have, they're, they're 30 years old. Some of the pads and stuff are falling off. So I have to get them repaired. This is no joke. We were just talking about this the other day, but for like a track podcast, that's not a saxophone podcast. It'd probably be okay. Right. Probably would work. You could play your bongo drums. Oh my God. Yeah. So my brother got me bongos for Christmas. Uh, and, Elliot came over one. What was it? New Year's no, Eve? it was New Year's Eve. You New guys Eve? had your own New Year's Eve bash. We were playing music. Elliot was playing guitar. I was playing bongos. We had a great time. Four straight hours. Twelve to four. Hey, Daddy. Twelve hey. to four a.m. Mike. He was icing his hands. <laughs> he made ice bags with zip locks and was walking around like this at four o'clock in the morning because his hands hurt so bad. Yeah, it was, you know, those there's, two. There's a fine line between dedication. And uh, <laughs> too, too far, <laughs> excessiveness. We made the most of staying in for New Year's and it, we had a blast. It was great, but it was, you know, they always say, I can remember buying a gift for like one of my nieces or something seven, eight, nine years ago. And it make a lot of noise. And my sister's being like, what goes around comes around, Michelle. And I'm still waiting for that. Meanwhile, I didn't think it would be my brother-in-law giving my husband that is well older than four uh, something that I was going to try to uh, sling out the freaking window. But he had fun. So. Well, we'll we'll circle back on the saxophone. We, we've got some time. We'll we'll, we'll <laughs> okay. see we'll see uh, you know if it's a hard no the whole time. So. Uh, <laughs> Did you, you end up good? Uh, did you say you end up becoming a sociology major? Sociology, yeah. Chemistry <laughs> has killed a lot of careers. Let me tell you, Kim 101 ain't no joke, right? So, yeah, uh, no. did you go into coaching or was there a, a career before coaching? Well, I was, I was actually, I was thinking about teaching. Like, coaching was never in my thought process. Once I was done with track, I wanted to be done with track. I was just burned out and just ready to be away from it. And honestly, I got home, I was home for a month and I, I missed track. And I called uh, my coach, uh, Julio Piazza at the time at Lafayette. I asked him, I said, do you mind if I come back and, and just volunteer, see if I like this? And really I haven't looked back since. So I graduated in May of 95, was home, you know, from 
June, July, August, and I was back on campus, got a job up there, and I had a footlocker just, you know, trying to make ends meet and coach because I wasn't getting paid. And, you know, I loved it and have not stopped coaching since 95, to be honest. So that's that was pretty much my first real – well, first real job was, you know, doing sales and things like that. But um, coaching-wise, was at Lafayette as a volunteer. And I always looked at that as my first priority because I, it never felt like a job. I always had fun with it. It was hard because I was coaching kids that were on my team, you know, my friends, my roommate from college was on that team. <laughs> but, you know, once I, I was there, I was able to get a grad assistantship at Millersville University of Pennsylvania in 97. Stayed there. Uh, I was there for four seasons, actually. Um, coached your brother. Coached my brother. Recruited my brother. He got there. He was there for a year. And then I left. <laughs> and I went to, ended up going to Yale there. I was there for 14 years. And here I am. Is there, at Troy. Is there any other profession? Like, I, I always find it fascinating when an undergrad, and you mentioned um, uh, the heptathlete that's now with you. She undergrad uh, did her in Troy. Riley, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any other profession where we're like, we're in the muck, we're on the team, and then a year later, you could be the boss, meaning you know, you're a coach now. That's a it, tough. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. And you have to be removed, you know, from some of the kids. Like some people don't respond to it well at all. I, I know that, you know, not everybody did when I was there. I mean, how am I supposed to get through to them when I was just on the team with them the year before? I mean, that's, that's how they looked at it. I, I kind of looked at it at times like that, but. I also wasn't on my own trying to come up with these plans and, and practice plans and all that stuff. It was still, I was getting that stuff and feeding it to them. So, um, well, it's a very it's a little different. It's, it's a very uh, rough weave, right? Cause it's, you could have done everything correctly, meaning removed yourself, you know, no more partying with them. I mean, you were just roommates with the kid, right? So no more uh, doing the things that we would do as a 22 year old and, and whatnot. You can completely mm-hmm. do that, but yet you still need the, you know, 19 to 21 year olds to also understand, well, wait a minute, Mark, we were cool. We used to go hang out on Friday nights. What are you saying? We can't go out now. You know, we can't hang out and stuff like that. What do you mean? We can't, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it takes both parties and I'm, and it's not just two parties, right? It's, it's you, the coach, but then it's, you know, it's upwards of 30, 40 kids. <laughs> I mean, they're still, you know, as, as, as young adult as they could be, they're still kids. Uh, that, that's a tough, that always just amazed me, especially the undergrad ones. Um, the ones that go to grad school and then become an assistant coach at their alma mater. It's like, okay, you got some years in between you, but boy, that's, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, that's awesome that you went yeah. back to Lafayette and, you know, found your passion, found your calling. And then from there went to Yale, we're going to pause right there. And now let's move over to Michelle. That's good. Now, Michelle, um, with your accent, you're obviously from Alabama originally. Absolutely. Born and raised. <laughs> Uh, no, um, get some water. don't really know. Hold on. Wait, we're having uh technical difficulties in our uh, filming space. Um, uh, is he going my to get the saxophone? Was, um, no, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try to point him in that direction. Nice. Yeah. He said, yeah, no. Um, but no, my dad was in transportation back then. Everybody would consider it trucking. He was in management. And we moved around a lot. Um, My dad is from Eastern North Carolina, just east of Raleigh. And my mom was from upstate New York. Kind of have to say this part so that the rest of my history makes sense. 
Um, my mom went to Odessa. It was Odessa Junior College at the time. Out and of now high she's school. in heaven. And now she's in heaven. Yes, has That's Maddie right. just left. That's right, Maddie. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. But um, at the time, it was the only school in the United States that offered women's golf scholarships. And my really? my mom was a pretty freaking good golfer. Um, long story short, she won the National Juniors, the National Collegiate, the Ohio State twice. Yeah, she was extremely good. So she went there. Um, it was a junior college still. So after two years, her only thing was she wanted to get back on the East Coast so she could drive home in 24 hours if something happened. And crazy enough, I don't know how this all works, but it came down to Duke and East Carolina, and she chose East Carolina. Um, they did not have a women's golf team. She went there and played on the men's team. Um, but my father was a football player, and he ended up at East Carolina, so that's where they met. So that kind of side note will come in handy later. Um, ECU runs deep. So anyways, we moved up and down the East Coast. I was born in Ohio, lived everywhere, Ohio, New York, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, you name it. Um, moved 11 times before I went to college. Um, athletic family, we kind of grew up doing a little bit of everything, but gymnastics was my passion. That was my five, six day a week in the gym um, for 11 years of my life. And I, crazy enough, um, later on in life became the shortest at what I do. But at that time I was one of the tallest in the gym. It was before, uh, collegiate gymnastics had really taken off. So I was just this, you know, super dynamic, big old muscle head stuck in a gym with all these little tiny girls. And, um, so I come in out, like, as I was finishing middle school, I kind of knew like, all right, you need to decide, Michelle, what you're going to do. This gymnastics thing's probably not going to go much further. Um, had started doing track. I was always kind of labeled the fastest kid in school, whatever. Um, started doing track. We were very fortunate where we lived in North Carolina, Wake County had a tremendous middle school athletic program and they had track for seventh and eighth graders. I started, I ran the, at the time, crazy enough, I am old enough. We ran the 220 um in the 440 i know right um so i ran the 100 the 220 the 440 and then i threw the shot I told you she lied about her age too by the way yeah I, that that may be more regional than time wise we're the same age yes and, and this was this was, was 1988 89 yeah. I, I feel like i'm light years away from the 220s and stuff it was all two right. fours and, and, and yeah. it was crazy because the high schools were all running, you know, normal 100, 200, 400. I don't know. The middle school was a little lost, I presume. But anyways, so started doing that, continued gymnastics through ninth grade. Um, and then track really just became my calling. Um, I still played softball uh, on a travel team. Um, that just came easy. I, I love my softball players out there, but it just wasn't enough for me. Um, so it was just kind of something else I did to keep me going. Um, especially once I was done with gymnastics, I played basketball in high school, uh, a little too short. I was, <laughs> I was a power forward at five foot four. Um, so that was interesting, but so just super active, but track definitely from ninth grade on was my, was my thing. And sorry, what do you sorry, need this? Did, 
Okay. Did you, um, did you stay sprints and you mentioned shot put, did you stay that combo all the way through high school or did you start transitioning over? Yeah. No, in middle school, we only had shot put for the girls. Weird. The guys threw the disc, but the girls didn't. So when I went to ninth grade, I picked the disc up. Um, that was a rocky start. We got better as time went on. And then, um, I still ran the one, two, four by one, four by four, long jump and triple jump. So crazy enough, um, a few of the smaller schools, well, I should probably shouldn't put it that way. We won't name them, but a few smaller schools actually recruited me as a heptathlete. Um, but I had this very strange determination that I was going to be a freaking good thrower. And even though all these big, now what we would call power five schools, I was too small. Da, 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 da. My numbers weren't astronomical coming out of high school had different ideas for me. I, w- I was determined. Um, so after a very, and that could be a whole nother podcast. How did Michelle land at East Carolina? Um, that could take another hour, but long story short on April 26, 1994. Um, I remember the day very clearly. Um, I signed my national level intent to go to ECU and basically didn't have a coach the whole time I was there. Um, my head coach was amazing. Uh, Charlie Chu Justice, love the man to death. To this day, we stay in touch. Um, Angela Dolby, I was fortunate enough to have as a coach for one season. Um, She was very young. It was cool. We were both young. I'm sure if we sat down right now and had a conversation, we'd both just shake our head and wonder what in the heck we were thinking. Her first coaching job, little know-it-all, but wouldn't talk, freshman Michelle. Um... But that was really all I had. And then my dad was three and a half hours away and we just made it work throughout my collegiate career. Um, and then I started throwing the hammer my, what was my sophomore year of college. I didn't throw it at all my freshman year. Um, we, my dad threw in the masters and had met some tremendous people. And one of them was Dr. David Vandergriff. Um, amazing man. He passed away about a year and a half ago now, but he, uh, he just took me under his wing and my God, it was, it was love at first sight. The hammer and I just clicked. And that was at a time that it was very, very new in our country, new to the NCAA. And, uh, I just right then I can remember, I'll probably get emotional about this, but, um, we were in Florence, South Carolina. He was a professor at Francis Marion University, psychology. And that's dad and I would drive down there. It was about three and a half hours. And uh, each we'd go down every couple of weeks. And each time I went back, I mean, I was like throwing like 10 feet, 20 feet further. And I just, David was like, Michelle, this, this is going to be your event. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm a shot putter. I'm a shot putter. I, I'm going to be a shot putter. And he was like, okay. And, um, just as time went on, I had in my, just in my soul that I wanted to throw post collegiately, like every little girl, um, in gymnastics, I wanted to be Mary Lou Retton in 1984. She was my idol. My hair was longer than it is now. I chopped it off. Um, she wins the gold medal. I was going to the Olympics. So once the gymnastics thing took over or went away track and I had to find my way, how was I going to get this Olympic dream? And 
it was right around then, 1995, 96, that I was like, you know what, if I'm going to go anywhere, it's going to be this little ball and chain that's going to take me there. And so through the rest of, I redshirted what was my senior year. So I would have four years of throwing the hammer, um, had the opportunity to go to NCAAs for indoor and outdoor, was an All-American in 99 in the hammer, and um, then went on and continued to train kind of my dad and piecing things together. And again, we were just blessed to Dr. Vandegrift. And uh, then um, just, I guess, because I was kind of the nomad, everybody kind of took me under their wings. So coaches that had recruited me, um, Mike Sargent, my God, I can't speak enough love for that man. Um, Just people that had seen me through the years and watch this this little fire plug that I used to get called or what have you just develop. They always were there to help me or Michelle, just come on down and train. Or um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Brian and Linda Blutrick. Um, Linda was my, oh my God, my everything in high school. Um, just this tall, blonde, beautiful girl, muscular. I, I was just that meant the world to me to see this like feminine chick throwing far and so sweet. And we as a family kind of adopted her. Here she was from Lynn, Massachusetts, down in Chapel Hill. And my mom being a Yankee fell in love with her. Um, and we just kind of took her under our wing. And this was back during snail mail. I used to write her letters. <laughs> um, and uh, then when Brian got the job at Carolina, that was good Lord. I, my little 1995 Jeep Wrangler knew that trip from Greenville, North Carolina to Chapel Hill, like the back of our hand. I would drive there two hours, spend the night with them, train, drive back. I did that for years. Um, so Brian was huge in my development. And uh, last but not least, Bill. Bill's last name, it just left me. Oh my God. Sutherland. Bill Sutherland. Yeah. Holy cow. Bill, if you're listening, please, dear God, forgive me. I'm getting old. Um, Bill kind of took me from that. Yeah, she qualified for the Olympic trials in 2000 and hung around in 01, started training with he and Anna and Bethany and, uh, making that trip to Connecticut for two, three weeks at a time. Anna, God bless her. Take me in. She and Sean took care of me. I'd stay at their house. And Bill really made me believe that I could do what I wanted to do. And that he took me, I, I still say it to this day. He's the reason I threw 66, 93 and had any shot at the 2004 games. Um, so yeah, my career is weird because well let's let's pause there uh-huh there's a lot to unpack there first yeah, of all yeah. i love the the mentors and the selfless people that poured into you from david oh. and blue and um uh, sutherland uh, i mean just amazing people uh you mentioned angela dolby mm-hmm. uh, who became angela powell Powell, correct yes i thought so I, you know i know where's angela powell i worked with right. her and keith 
at Mississippi State. And I was like, wait a minute. I was like, I am 99% sure her maiden name was Dolby. Yeah. Uh, and shout out to the Powell family. Uh, yes. Lots of prayers. You guys are awesome. Uh, love you guys to death. Uh, I only had them for one year on staff or with their staff. I act like I was the head coach. I was, they were there before me. They allowed me to come to Mississippi State and they are just awesome, awesome people with the uh, a great family, man. They're just amazing. Uh, so shout out to Angela, formerly Dolby Powell. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, I was going to ask about your dad. So your dad, one of the nicest people in the entire world, by the way, is also a fairly high level track and field official. Yes. Did Where did uh, officiating come into life for you, what I mean by that is, was he an official and then you started doing track or did he become an official because you were doing track? How, how'd that come about? So um, he had thrown in high school in his little town, you know, little high school in his little country town in North Carolina, but football was his thing. Um, so Madeline, please stop. Um, so when I started throwing the shot in seventh grade, he just kind of picked it up and we just learned together. We went to clinics at UNC. Jeff Gorski was the throws coach at the time and would set up clinics. We'd go there um, as often as possible. Went to track camp at Carolina with Gorski. And um, it was just, we from the start were so fortunate with just the people. Ow, that was me. I thought I was getting her. <laughs> I got pinched for her doing. Welcome to our family, everyone. Well, well done, Maddie. Well done. <laughs> Um, but so he just kind of started throwing in the masters. He was still working. Um, he was with old dominion freight and, um, would not really officiate until both my sister and I got through college. Um, he never, ever wanted it to be, cause people would ask him all the time, LB, you're here. Make use of being here. And he was like, I'm here to support my girls. Um, so Actually, really, it didn't take off until I was done in 04 um, that he just jumped in literally head first. There were no feet first. And um, then when he retired from Old Dominion, the man works more now than he did then. Like he's in charge of uh, certifying the officials in the state of North Carolina now. It's crazy. But, um, so yeah, the, the officiating thing kind of came after the fact. And I think it was more to fill the void of traveling every weekend with me because in college, he and my mom, I can, I don't know if I even can recall a meet from high school all the way through college. Now, post-collegiately, I was all over the place, so that got a little harder, but I think one of them were at at least every single meet my entire career. So I think to fill that void of, what track meet am I going to this weekend? What am I doing? He just took on the officiating thing, and here we are. I can see football being his thing. I mean, he's a, he's a big man. He is I mean, a big man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for you to tell me he was a high school thrower or something. Cause I'm like, Oh, okay. That would make complete sense. Yeah. I mean, and just again, one of the nicest people in the whole world. So uh, he and your mom met at Eastern Carolina. Yes. Uh, it must. And I want to hear a little bit about this. It must mean something to you. You remembered April 26, 1994. You didn't remember, Oh, I signed to go to ECU in April or my senior year. Like you knew it 
down to the day. And obviously I, I could tell you're, you're seeing that moment in your head of when you actually had the papers out and sign it. What uh, it, was it attached to because that's where your parents met or what was so obviously special about going to ECU? You know, I, um, I, from my sophomore, I should admit this on a national coverage, but I will. It's okay. Um, from about my, no, it was my freshman year of high school on, I swore I would not go to ECU. All I had ever known was East Carolina purple and gold. I spent my first birthday, literally, um, 1977 in Ficklin Stadium at that time. It's now Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. It did not matter where we lived in the U.S. We made that trip at least once, if not two, three times, or to a game like up at Temple or West Point or something when they were closer. Um, it was just, I mean, Maddie over the past four years has been wearing crazy enough. They're 40 plus years old, but some of my old ECU t-shirts um, and we've passed them down from the three girls all the way to her. But, you know, it's, it was one of those things. I wanted my, my own new, without saying it, cause I didn't yeah. want to be rude, but I wanted my own identity. I wanted a school that was mine and I could claim. And so I, uh, I had known Chu, the head coach for a long, long time. He had started off at East Carolina as the football equipment manager, crazy enough. And again, we followed East Carolina football, um, used to go down to the locker room after games. So I had met Chu back in the eighties when I was her age. And, um, so when he started calling me, I was very nice, but most of the time I'd let my mom or dad talk to him. I mean, he, if he listens to this, he'll laugh and be like, she's not lying. Um, tried and tried, wanted me to come on an official visit. And I was like, coach, why? I, I'm going to be down there anyways for a football game. You want me just to meet with you? Like I could take somebody on a tour of the campus. And he is just like, you know, Michelle, you're right, but I'd really like you to meet the girls on the team. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's cool, whatever. And I just, I'd never commit to an official visit with him. Um, so finally he called my dad at work and he said, LB, when will you guys be home the week of X? And dad said, let me check Michelle's meet schedule. Gets back to him. He was like, I'm doing a home visit. Make sure her tail is in the house. And so they literally did not tell me till the night before. Um, and we were on our way back from a meet and dad said, uh, so tomorrow night, any studying you need to do tonight, you need to get it done because we're going to have a visitor tomorrow. Okay. I was like, oh, who's coming in town? Um, Chu's coming to see you. I was like, oh, okay. And it was right after the seat. We were in the colonial at the time and their conference meet was super early. And uh, it was the week before Penn relays because we would go to conference and then go to Penn. And the girls had done really well at that meet. And he had a deal with them. If they finished X, Y, Z, they were allowed to shave his head. So he shows up at my house with this botched up, like buzz cut. Oh God, bless him. And she was not a big guy. So it was just so funny. And he has blonde hair. It was hilarious. Well, he stayed at the house for six hours. We talked about 
football, the team in the 80s when ECU was actually rocking and rolling, doing well against big national teams like Florida States and Florida's, talked about all the people we knew, different people in the track world we knew, but nothing about me. And finally, he was like, well, let's go ahead and get on with why I'm here. Michelle, this is what I have. This is what we're going to offer you. Da, 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 da. Academically, you know, you've gotten this from ECU. You can go to honors college if you want, da, 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 which would be perfect for what you want to do. Um, just let me know. And literally, it was like, drop the bomb, drop the mic, exit door A. And he like said what he had to say, stood up, gave all of us hugs. And um, we walked him to the front door, stood on the front porch, waved to him, closed the door. And I looked at my parents. I had said maybe 20 words the whole time he was there. Looked at my parents. I said, well, I hope you guys are happy because that's where I'm going to school. And my bedroom at my parents' house is downstairs, like there to the right. And I just walked in my room and closed my door. So and what what was it? Because you were pretty committed to not going there. Yeah. And then a six hour, I can't imagine an 18 year old, 17, 18 year old enjoying a six hour visit from a coach, even though there was friendships there. Right. Yeah. And you know, the, it was a madhouse because my sisters were younger. So there are the three of them running around mom feeding us dinner, the whole nine. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it was, it was more just academically. I knew I could get what I needed there. Um, it was in state. So the cost for what we were going to need to cover was very reasonable. I could actually get most of that taken care of with my academic money. And I just kind of weighed my options and I had my last five were all going to be great schools. That wasn't going to be an issue. One was literally in my backyard and my mom told me you're going to college. You're not staying home. That might be a little too close for comfort, Wake Forest. So, you know, that kind of made sense, but um, it just seemed like the right to do it in the, you know, at first it sounded great. University of Florida with Sandy Fowler Air Force Academy and get medical school paid for afterwards. And all those things sounded amazing. And my mom and dad sat at the kitchen table with me when we got back from indoor national scholastics in Syracuse. And my dad was like, you know, Michelle, you really need to start narrowing down this list. You've had some great visits. And I was like, yes, sir. No problem. He was like, no, 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 no. It's a problem. You need to listen. And I was like, yes. And he was like, you need to think about how many meets your mother and I have missed. And for some people, that doesn't matter. Some people, but for you, we are a very close family. We have our fights. We have our, we are very close. And, you know, these schools sound amazing, but mom and I aren't going to get on a plane. You have three sisters. We can't jump on a plane, one of us, every week to go here, there, and everywhere. And that really, really resonated with me. Like I can remember just thinking that through and okay. So that, that took a couple of them off pretty quickly. Um, and what was left again, I felt like I couldn't really go wrong. Um, it was weird cause I was gonna go to a school where I did not have a throws coach, but Chu said he would have one for me by the time the season started. And that's when Angela came. Um, so it just, it was comfortable. It's what I knew. 
uh, just kind of that whole like, well, your dad wore the purple and gold on on that field you've watched your whole life, and and your mom played golf for them. That this would this might not be so bad. I kind of matured. I was young. I was only 16, 17. and so I had that quick like, okay, you know, it doesn't. It's not completely about me. It's about me, but there's a lot of other things. So looking back, I. It made me the athlete that I was. Um, I never had that coach there 24-7. I never had that crutch of walk out of the circle and bam, like, what did I do? What do I need? I had to grow up as a competitor really fast as an athlete. Had an amazing sports psychologist there that, oh, my God, I couldn't have done it without him. Um, shout out to Dr. Bill Moore at Oklahoma. Um, so I just – it just worked. And so I remember them saying, you let him sit here for six hours. Michelle, now the man has a three and a half hour drive back to Greenville, wondering, what is she thinking? What did I do enough? And I was like, I'll call him tomorrow. And they were like, and you know, this is nobody carried a cell phone at that time. So I couldn't pick up the phone and be like, coach, I'm coming. Um, So I got out of school the next day and went to our athletic director's office and called the 1-800 number, I'll never forget this, to Scales Fieldhouse and asked the secretary to let me speak to Coach Chu. And I told him I was committing. So yeah, crazy. That's crazy, awesome. crazy. That's really cool. Yeah. I love that, you know, you could, and, and at a young age, this is a tough thing to, to realize and come around is that you can have and live your own story even though it might be a part of someone else's story, obviously it has a, a large uh, history for your family, but right. your experiences and then the fruit from those experiences, the education and the athleticism, that's been your story, not, not theirs that you've carried on through. So that, that's amazing. I and mean, that is tough for a 16, 17, 18 year old kid to, to think of at that time. You could, uh, you know, sitting back as a 30 year old, you can, you know, you got hindsight. So you can go, man, you know what? Uh, I could have, should have done this. But to that in the pretense, that's, that's really, that's really intelligent. I'm, I'm happy that that happened. So what did you, uh, we got up through post-collegiate, uh, obviously had a great career as a hammer thrower, uh, got, you know, opportunities to throw at the trials and, and have opportunities to make some other teams and such. What were you thinking career-wise was coaching in the mix or where were you at? No, my, so my story is again, another podcast, the story of Michelle, but um, so long story short, uh, I wanted to go to med school that first it was physical therapy and I did all my hours and I was like, ah, I'm just not going to be able to do enough. I want to do more. So I was like, med school and, uh, you had a med school. So I just kind of felt I was setting myself up beautifully, um, for that. And so redshirting my, what was my senior year? I still graduated and, um, obviously had another year of eligibility. So there was no way I was going to do med school and compete that there's probably out there that have done it very few, but no, I, I just knew better. That was going to be my big year. And I wanted to kind of put all my athletic eggs into that basket. So had just kind of made the decision to start a master's degree. I had to know that I wasn't going to finish it. I deferred medical school, um, for a year. And, uh, for that reason, like, Hey, what can we do here? I've got another year of eligibility. So I deferred for a year and, um, was all set to do a sports management, athletic and sports management masters. And I was 
training with the football team that summer. I did that a couple summers with coach Jeff Connors and, um, he comes up to me. This was the last week of July, right before the team got their two weeks off to go home before we came, they'd come back for fall camp. And he said, Hey, uh, show. Yes, sir. What are you doing next year? I said, I have a fifth year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, what are you doing? I'm like throwing. He was like, no, you're not. You're going to be my GA. Well, you're still going to throw, but you're going to be a GA in the weight room. I said, can I do that? He was like, oh, no, run upstairs and talk to Miss Rosie. That was our compliance director. So literally, I went out the back door, up the four flights of stairs, asked her. She was like, that's a good question. I've never been asked that. If you could be a graduate assistant as well and still finish your eligibility. She was like, sit down. Calls the NCAA office. They say yes. And literally within about a 30 minute to an hour time span, I went from just being a fifth year track athlete to a graduate assistant strength coach and also fifth year. So when this, this graduate assistant strength coach, was this for all sports, including football, or was this just for track? It was a football. I ended up having football track, women's basketball, Volleyball, soccer. Oh my God, I had everybody. Now, Volleyball, soccer, softball, and cheerleading. You mentioned um, your thoughts about when you saw Linda uh, Blue Trick about you know the representation of a uh, of the athlete that you described, um, and you know seeing someone of your who looks and acts and talks like you, uh, you know that's important for people to see that oh you can also become X Y and Z. Right. Uh, this was ninety eight. Eight. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there weren't very many female strength and conditioning coaches, graduate assistant or not. Uh, and there were even fewer female uh, strength and conditioning coaches working with football. Yes, it was uh, that it was on the news several times. Um, what, what were your thoughts? Did. Was there any fear? Or was there, I mean, you, you have no role model. I, I'm assuming you have no role model. Maybe there was a groundbreaking uh, individual in, in your area, but I mean, what were you thinking? <laughs> I mean, that, you know, that's, a, that's a tough question. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? Um, you know, it, it's funny because Linda actually, uh, lives in blue trick was a strength coach at UNC. Um, prior, like kind of at the beginning of her post-collegiate career, she never really, she was more in the Olympic sports weight room, um, never really worked with football directly, but good God, they knew who she was because of the athlete she was. Please stop. Yes, ma'am. Um, and then, uh, when I, let's see my senior year at East Carolina, we had a GA by the name of Jennifer Jones. Um, she has done phenomenal for herself. She's been a little bit of everywhere. Um, but most recently is now the head women's strength coach at Auburn. And Jen was another Linda, just tall, super athletic, phenomenal athlete, had played volleyball at Michigan State. So I guess I was really lucky in that sense that I had had those two women that were just very strong, um, not like bully type strong, but just their presence made you know they were there. And so, yeah, when Coach Connors asked me, I was, I can't remember calling home. And what I was the most excited about 
was that I was going to be able to be a strength coach for the football team that I had cried, traveled all over the place, wanting them to succeed through the two and nine seasons repeatedly to the one huge 1991 finish number nine in the country, uh, win the Peach Bowl. Just, I'm going to be a coach. I am coaching on this staff. And, oh, my God, you haven't ever met a 21-year-old that was more happy to go home for five days and have to go back to campus to be there. At the time, we had three-a-days. That was before they took it down to two-a-days. Um, I didn't care. I would be there from 4 a.m. until 2 a.m. and get two hours of sleep and be back. It was my life. Oh, so and when we when we know we're going to have guests on the show, uh, I like to reach out to Twitter and ask them if they have any questions for the guest. And we did have two questions, and it, it worked out this way. One was for Michelle, and one's for you, Mark. We'll we'll get to you uh, on your question. It comes from Lamont Johnson. So prepare yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, the question for Michelle was from our good friend, Corey Mastretta over at Southeast Louisiana. Uh, and, and he asked, he'd like to hear about your journey into the male dominated world of strength and conditioning uh, as we're getting into that now, obviously, but what were, how were you received? I mean, right now in today's world, right? 2020, 2021, uh, we've had, um, uh, gosh, I can't remember her name. The, the young lady who just kicked for Vanderbilt. That was a big yep. news, you know, a female coming into the quote unquote male world. And then we just had, right. I believe her name is Becky Harmon, I believe, uh, who coached the, oh, uh, the NBA. Yeah. Um, and I loved uh, Greg Popovich, I think is his name. I am not a basketball fan, so I'm probably butchering all these these uh, guys and gals names. Um, but uh, the, the coach Popovich talked about that it wasn't a big deal because she had already earned it. I love that attitude, not this like, uh, and it should be made a big deal of because what she's doing is, is groundbreaking and things like that. But he seemed very much more of the, well, you know, we already hired her. Like that was the groundbreaking. Like that, we we thought she was good enough to coach for us. That's why we hired. And we are talking about the NBA here, where you know money rules all in the sense of it's a business. So there are no charity hires <laughs> when it comes to the NBA. And and I believe there's a at least one young lady who is. I don't know if she's in the strength conditioning staff or on quality control staff, but I think she works for the 49ers. I believe. Um, is it 49ers or 49ers. the Bills? Yeah, I think it's 49ers. One in the bills and one in the Because one of them was at Dartmouth. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So so yeah. what I'm getting at is we're in 2020 and 2021, and these are still big oh, news yeah. headlines, right? We're, right? we're going back 20 plus years. How were you even received? Not only just the kids. And again, they're 18 to 22 year olds. I'm not going to excuse whatever good or bad things that they did. Right. I'm more talking about the adults. You had to have a head strength coach and other strength coaches and other people oversaw. You had football coaches who obviously had their own opinions about uh, their weight room and things like that. Um, how were you received? <laughs> That's the best looking face I've had on this podcast all, uh, at all. Right there. Um, what's, I can't ever remember dog's name. 
Oh, Petey. Petey. Petey has joined us on the podcast. A little, little quieter than Maddie, but uh, but we've yes, got another yes. one. Yes, yes. He's been sleeping. Good. Good yeah, for you, Petey. Named after the ECU pirate. Oh, jeez. Of course. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh-huh. Right. Hey, you yep. know what? Uh, I named my son after my alma mater. The dog. You did. Not the same equivalent. <laughs> Maddie, yes. you, you could have been, they could have gone very exotic and named you Isu oh, or Iku hey. or something like that. <laughs> no, no, not that crazy. Um, but you know, it, I guess I was fortunate. Um, Jeff Connors, by far one of the best strength coaches in the country, just recently retired, but he, from day one, I guess he just saw something different in me. I, again, I trained with football every summer. Um, it never, so and this I'm not a very ego hungry person, but everybody knew who I was. Um, you know, that football staff had been together. Coach Steve Logan had put that staff together and they had stayed together. So even those guys knew who I was. And when coach Connors announced, um, in the staff meeting that he was hiring me, um, he asked coach Logan, was there any problems? And he said, well, Michelle, no. And he actually came down and spoke to me. Um, the only, I guess, lecture per se that I got from both of them, Coach Logan and Coach Connors, were the hardest thing for you is going to be that Monday through Friday, whenever you depart with the team to three o'clock, you are a coach. And then from that moment you step on the bus for the next 24, 48 hours, you're a teammate to the same kids that you're coaching Monday through Friday. And I was like, that's no big deal. Um, again, that whole, I was saying, uh, kind of introvert, like my time. I wasn't the partier go out. I, so that was not a big transition for me at all. I already lived by myself. So it, it was super simple. Um, and if anything, I think that it made me more disciplined and actually set me up better for the next rest of my life. Um, I, I want to make sure we do right by both of your journey. Um, just looking at the clock, how are we doing time-wise? That'll help me. You're okay? You're okay? Nothing else going on right now. All right, good. This this is important stuff, and I do feel, uh, and I've already written some notes for future. I'll get a hold of you, Michelle. Uh, but this 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 journey, this is important. Both your journeys are important, uh, and so th- this is uh, uh, fascinating. I, I think you're right that it um, back then, at least, it had to be the right place. I don't, oh, know, yeah. I don't know there was a right time because the right time was a long yeah. time ago, right? But uh, the right place to do that, right? Um, well, let's fast forward a little bit. That's that's awesome. I, I did not know that part of your your journey. I love that. Uh, so you get is is coaching your strength coaching. Is this now because you're in the grad uh, as a graduate assistant as you're finishing up your senior year? Is this now like okay, this is what I'm going to do? That didn't really strike me. I tried not to think about that much that fifth year. Um, I just did my job per se and trained my tail off and competed. It was. Once, once I came back from Boise, Idaho, it was kind of like, all right, um, now, Michelle, what do you do? Do you finish this master's degree? Do you go on? Um, you want to keep throwing? Is this the answer? You can be a strength coach. You're 
more than likely not going to have to travel on the weekend. So you could probably, you know, compete without an issue. And after some very long um, talks with myself, uh, spent lots and lots of time going through that, you know, med school is no little thing just to kind of sweep away. I made the decision to stay and finish my master's at ECU and take on that first year post-collegiately, try to make the Olympic trials and um, then kind of see where it led. And all of a sudden doors just started opening. I was offered three jobs before I even graduated. And I was like, well, hold on a minute. I, I want to finish this degree. I'm not just going to walk away from it. So, you know, can we revisit this in May? And, uh, I interviewed at Wake Forest and uh, with longtime strength coach Ed Ellis. And then I interviewed literally three days later at Virginia Tech with Mike Gentry. And again, Mike had been at East Carolina um, way back in the 80s. I had met him when I was a little kid, remembered him like it was nothing and kind of just had idolized him. He and Coach Connors were really good friends as well. And it worked out that I got that job up at Virginia Tech um, as these, the director. You're about to answer the exact question I was about to ask. That's, I'm a terrible host that way. Uh, these jobs that you were interviewing for, were these track coaching jobs or were these strength and conditioning jobs? Were, mm -hmm. and, and strength what kind and conditioning and what kind of strength and conditioning jobs? Like, oh, you can oversee volleyball or were these like still in the football type level? No. So at Wake Forest, it would have been a little bit of everything just because they kind of operated with a smaller staff like we did at East Carolina. Um, Virginia Tech at that point had played in the national championship um, that January. And um, they were kind of pushing ahead. They had made some, you know, big gains. They had built a weight room just for football had expanded their staff. So when I took that job, my official title was um, director of women, director of strength and conditioning for women's Olympic sports. So fancy. Um, so I had all of our women's teams. Um, all of our Olympic sports were in one weight room, except for women's basketball and men's basketball. They trained with football or in the football weight room. But um, I guess my kind of claim to fame as the little chick thing with football I was the first female to ever work on Frank Beamer's staff. Um, so it took a little while. I had to get my foot in the door. But after about three, four months, right at the tail end of my first football season there, I started working with them. Um, namely, I, I think I was the guinea pig. I got to play racquetball with the uh, linemen that needed to lose weight. That was kind of, they were like, oh, Michelle can do it. She's fit. So I'd spend hours in a non-air conditioned racquetball court, um, but it was awesome. It was worth it. Um, and again, those men, you know, people see them on TV and the things they've done, Frank Beamer, Mike Gentry, um, Bud Foster, all those guys, there was never any question. I was, I wasn't one of them, obviously I look extremely different, but um, I was, there, there was no question of where'd you come from? Why do you deserve this? It just, I just did my job. I've never really tried to see, see it any different. And, you know, I think back, we talk about great groundbreaking and one of our very own extremely accomplished throwers, Meg Ritchie, people forget Meg was a head strength coach for football. Um, 
now many years ago, but talk about groundbreaking. So I guess, you know, knowing that, knowing how well she threw, I mean, phenomenal collegiate record holder up until not so very long ago. And it was people like that, that I like, I don't want to say idolize cause that's bad, but characteristics about them that I loved. And that was one of them. I mean, if she could do it when I was in grade school, then why in the heck can I do it now when we've come so far? So it was just never one of those things. That's what amazes me. You, you know, you say we've come so far and we've definitely come, have come farther than this time frame, the 98 time frame. yet, you know, <laughs> still very much have a discussion about, well, can a female track coach coach male throwers and male sprinters i mean that's still a conversation that's not a it's not a given uh, even though it should be in today's world uh and, and by the way we we i don't i don't think i've ever i shouldn't say ever but it's rarely the other way around oh but but mark's a male can he coach female sprinters and female jumper like no it's like oh yeah he's a coach he can coach we don't give that same respect to the to the female side of it. it's like hey she's a coach she can coach but it's a matter of right. male or female Etc. right? And depending on her skill level, whether she's coaching middle school or high school or college or professional at that point, you know, um, that's, that's fascinating. I love that. So you're breaking ground uh, at Virginia Tech and Mark is at Yale. Where mm-hmm. do the two paths start connecting? Well, it's funny because we, we actually met each other in like 2000, 2001 and really never gave much of a thought because she had mentioned Anna, Anna Mann. Um, she used to be our throws coach at Yale. And Michelle would come up and train with both Anna and Bethany Hart. And, you know, we met at the track a couple times. But, again, there was nothing that was, that was there at that point. So this and, isn't a love at first sight story. Oh, oh. I mean, we were both married at that time. <laughs> there was nothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so there was. I was gonna say, so this is not a fairy tale story. It could have been a whole different story there. Holy cow! Okay, good. All right, so you're both good people. Good. Okay. And what's funny about the whole thing is she had to remind me that I had met her back in 2000. I think. I mean, because I remember you brought that up, and it wasn't because I was ignoring anything. It was just I just didn't. It had been so long. I did not even remember. Um, but then we met each other. You came out with us at regionals when we were down in uh, Florida, Florida State. Right? At Florida State, yep. yep. And in you know, we there's just a bunch of coaches, something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was just a coaches gathering. Everybody was getting together. I was out with Anna again at <laughs> uh, Miller's Ale House or something like that down in Florida State. And uh, she, Michelle, came in with. Were you with by yourself or were we with somebody else? Uh, I was with the Duke staff with yeah, a couple of my. Yeah, she was Duke, Duke at the time. Yeah, and then we just started talking just talking, watching a UFC fight on the big screens, actually. And uh, and that was the end of it. You know, she went home, went back to her hotel, I went back to mine. I ended up, we ended up in the, in the airport um, that next day. We were both flying out at the same time. I spoke to her, said hello. <laughs> she said nothing to me. So I was like, all right, that was, was weird. She, was she, I know, I just saw you last yeah, night. And I know. Big time in you or what? I don't know what she was doing, but she surely didn't speak. So it was okay. It was, it was fine. He tells everybody that story. Is it the truth? Yes. There we go. So that's how, that's how it worked. 
and the Tallahassee airport's about this big. Oh. So it's not even like I could be like, oh, I didn't see. No, no, no. no I, we yeah, were I like, know that airport. Yeah. You can't even think of Starbucks to go to. You ain't going nowhere. No. You gate or security. That's all you got there at Tallahassee. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Standing in line at getting food. Yeah. I was the next person behind it. So it was okay. Anyways. I wasn't I wasn't too uh too hurt by it, but I think we didn't see each other then at that point. Didn't see each other speak or anything until convention. Convention that December. That December. And even then it was the same type of thing. It was like kind of small talk and we uh we we spoke and everything and we we, we talked and that was, that was it. but it's yeah. still it's that just colleagues at this time, like, oh she's a truck yeah. coach, I'm a truck oh, yeah. coach. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That was it. So yeah. but I mean after that, you know, when she was at Duke, we were they would still come up to IC4As and ECACs up in Boston. So we'd see each other then, and you know that's where things started to really yeah. take off at that point. So, you know, we got we got close, and then she ended up going to Dartmouth. Which his throws coach, Coach Wall, Carl Wallen, retired at Heps that May. Mm-hmm. So that was May of two thousand nine. Right. He told his throwers um, at the end of the competition that he was retiring. It was this huge emotional thing. Well, his throws coach, Anna Mann, literally gets on their team bus and calls me. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like, hey, Shell, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, I, th- I don't even know. I think I had been at the pool or something at my apartment complex. And he w- she was like, all right, here's the deal. You've been wanting to get back up north. I have the opportunity for you. Coach Wallen just retired. I don't have a lot of time. We're getting ready to leave. I don't want everybody to hear me on the bus. Get your resume and cover letter ready. I'll call you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, that was that. And so I text Mark and I was kind of like, hey, what's this I hear? And he was like, did Anna call you already? Yeah. <laughs> and like the rest is history. Like I ended up interviewing. That was by far professionally the hardest decision I've ever made. Um, oh, I loved Duke. Loved it. Amazing place to work. I was 50 minutes from my my parents. Um, it was just, it was amazing, but I was single. I had to figure out how to live on my own and make some money. And, uh, the Dartmouth opportunity was just amazing. And, um, so yeah, next thing I know, I found myself in Hanover, New Hampshire and Mark was three hours away. I knew nobody. Yeah. And, uh, he was like, Hey, why don't you just come down and hang out with all of us? And I was like, I just got here. You want me to drive three hours? What? And uh, I did. And I got to, I hung out with Anna and Bethany and I was like, all right, I can handle this. This is awesome. And then we just kind of never, ever had a reason to like grow apart or not be in touch anymore. So who asked who on the first date? You did. I would have lost that bet. I would have lost that bet. Really? (laughs) It was Definitely him. Definitely. I mean, I think it was when we were at a meet. We were. Said, yeah. Just, and you were like, let's go grab dinner and have a few drinks. And I was like. Eh. Yeah, it was exactly. <laughs> but wait, 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 wait. As much. But you, you're in a group where you guys do that. Like that wouldn't have been awkward. How did he delineate that this was not a group thing anymore? This was Mark Davis, not Coach Davis and Coach Clayton and Coach Mann and everybody getting together. This is Mark and Michelle having dinner and drinks. I just, I was just forward and asked. He was the whole time. He was just like, so 
And do, do you do you want to go hang out together? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. It was not really the reaction I thought I was going to get, but I was like, okay, maybe I read this completely wrong, but I'm just going to keep plowing away at it and see what happens. So, but it's funny, as much as you can get out of her in situations like this, social situations, not always, not always that way. Was there a Especially concern when, from your side, Mark, that it was like, oh, does, does she think I'm asking her, like, we're just all going out and hanging out? Or like, does she know, like, I'm interested, interested? Oh, she knew full well okay. what I was asking. She, she knew. That's why I think that's why she had the, the reaction. You know, I, I think it just made her nervous to be out of that, that comfort zone of all of us. Right. You know, so... Yeah, I, but it worked out. Yeah, look at this. Well, obviously, yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah, if you haven't been paying attention today, uh, it worked out exactly. Yeah. Um, so, how was it working? That's a whole different dynamic as you go through your dating. Uh, you're now at conference rivals. I don't know if it's rivals necessarily, but you're inside the conference against each other. And luckily, you're not both throws coaches or something like that because that could have been a whole mess, right? Um, but you're you're competing against each other. You're recruiting maybe some of the same kids. How was it during that process? I, I think for us, it wasn't bad at all. I was really close to Sandy Ford Santones, that was uh, one of the head coaches at Dartmouth. So when she went there, it was like it was another family type of, of atmosphere between the three of us. So it, there wasn't any type of, there was always rivalry. None, none of us wanted to lose. But, you know, at the same time, we were always cordial. We were always happy. We were always joking around. We were all, it was like a family, like I said, and the step, we never had any type of animosity like that. It was great. It was a great relationship. And um, I always enjoyed going up there, you know, when I go up and visit, you know, we were, we were always, always together, together. <laughs> always together, the three of us. So, um, you know, from, from that perspective, I mean, it was, it was, it was a great relationship and everybody at, you know, the Ivy's it's a different league, you know, there's a lot of, what's the camaraderie between the coaches? You know, we were very, very close. Staffs were very, very close. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew each other and everybody, again, nobody wanted to lose, but it was, it was a friendly atmosphere during that time. I couldn't speak on it now, but you know, it, we always enjoyed being around each other. So it was, it was a good time. It was always good fun. We made the, what was it? How many hours was it from Hanover to Moncton? Oh, it was 10 hours, I think. Yeah, we did a 10-hour road trip from Hanover to Moncton for the World Junior Championships in 2010, the three of us. Now, that if we didn't like each other beforehand, yeah. woo! That's a long trip in a car. Long and we stayed in a – we just stayed in a regular old double. Oh, yeah. All man. three of us because we were trying to conserve money for the programs because we were going to be there for a whole week. And so the three of us, we got – it was like the couch and two beds – Oh my, it was hilarious. Yep, Beer tasted very good that week, I will say. <laughs> and we'd get to the meet. As soon as we got to the meet, we'd all just disperse. We weren't telling anybody who we were talking to. Right. We were, you know, it was just. Friendly, you know, friendly no, rivalries we were, are still rivalries. <laughs> absolutely. But it, it, I think what made Mark and I even closer was I had Sandy and rest in peace. She's my dearest, most best friend. But. Um, Mark had been in the league for so long and 
the idea is very quirky, you know, how you recruit mm -hmm. early decision versus this versus that. And, you know, I get there and I'm trying to learn it all. And Sandy was amazing and Barry as well, but I could call him and be like, all right, babe, help. What do I tell this kid? What do I do? And so that was like, even though we weren't on the same staff at that point, that working together started even yeah. then. Mm -hmm. And very rarely did we really have any crossover recruiting wise. Right. Um, it, was, it takes a totally different kid to go to Dartmouth versus Harvard or Yale or Princeton or Brown because, I mean, we were in the woods. It, it, it's amazing. If you love that, oh my God, I love that place. But um, I do. But it, totally different kid. You're, you're not going to get a city slicker wanting to go spend the next four years of their life in Hanover, New Hampshire. So mm -hmm. it was comfortable. I knew I could call Mark and be like, okay, how do I get this kid from outside of LA to fall in love with Dartmouth? And then what are the next steps? So we kind of started working together then. It was, it was cool. Mm -hmm. Was, was it ever as you guys move from you know dating to you know there's all these stages right boyfriend girlfriend all this kind of stuff right mm -hmm. uh, was it strategic for either of you of like mm, well since he coaches sprints or she coaches throws if I ever become a head coach like I've got a member of my staff locked down in the yeah in the end yeah <laughs> it, it made yeah. it really easy to be able to to do that um and the strength coaching component. I mean, I will tell you that, and I say it to her all the time. I tell everybody I talk to, this is the best strength coach I've ever seen in my life. You know, the, the stuff that she does, it works. It puts us on the right track. It keeps us ready to go. And like those last three, four weeks that we're in the weight room, that's how I know if we're ready to run or not. If those kids are hitting numbers and she's excited when she comes home and we know that they're PRing in the weight room and we're running fast and we're going through our peaks, tapers, all that, blah, blah, blah. She times it right every single year. And so I, what I mean, happens, Mark, when, who would it be? The Charlotte Panthers call Michelle up to offer her the strength and conditioning coach. Deuces, babe. <laughs> I would say absolutely not. It's got to be the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh my gosh, that's right. Why didn't I go with the Eagles? That would have been an automatic yes. That's right. Boy, you know, I'm not an NFL guy at all, so I don't even think about those things. But that would have been all right. Oh gosh, dang it! Yeah. I missed. I tell her all the time. I mean, one of the things I say all the time is, if something comes up like that, you have to look at it. You know, I mean, she's the most qualified person in this house. You know, I mean, there's two of us. That, but she has the opportunities to do that. And I never want to be the person that is causing that to not happen. I don't ever want her to feel stuck because, you know, something you have to do that as a family. It happens all the time, you know, and do I enjoy what I do at what I do as a coach? Absolutely. I really do. But if there's an opportunity for her, then, you know, we've got to explore that. It's fair. So how did, as the relationship evolves now into eventually you got engaged, which we're going to hear that story, Mark. Hold on. We, we're going to have to hear that. How did you start thinking about a, a, a marriage that's also on the same staff, meaning you were interviewing for other positions, at least for one, the Troy University position. How did that evolve towards that process of leaving the Ivy League and leaving New England area and coming down south? Right. 
well, at the time that I interviewed here, I also interviewed at another school. I interviewed at Temple hmm. and I actually got the job at Temple wow. in, you know, obviously I'm from Philly. So it was a, it was an interesting decision that I had to make and, and it all ties together in the end. But, you know, for me, if I had stayed at home, I didn't think I was going to be able to do a good enough job leading a program. I think there, there would have been way too many distractions and I didn't want to, I didn't want to have that. And that's how I ended up at Troy because I knew that it was a way I had already spoken to them about the whole Michelle piece and, and being able to work together and how to make all that stuff work. And, you know, it seemed like a good fit at the time. You know, I wanted to get out of the cold. I wanted to get to some warm weather. I wanted to be able to sprint coach. I don't want to be indoors all year. And, and I was trying to, to get to that point. And, you know, this was an opportunity that, that presented itself. I had, none of us had any ties to the South, to Troy, to anything. So, um, you know, it's just something that I, things are, some things are meant to happen. And I think this is one of those things. Well, before we get to the real reason of why you went to Troy, because uh, I have inside knowledge of that, uh, let's find out. Everybody wants to know. So, Mark, how did you propose? Well, you know what? In today's society, I don't want to presume. I'm so sorry. Uh, who who uh, proposed to whom and how did it go down? There were two, kind of. What do you mean? Well, right after you had had surgery. Yeah. But the real one, yeah, yeah. at convention. Yes. So at convention, essentially, <laughs> I had brought I had brought the the ring to convention. What year? Uh, 2013. Brought the ring to convention, and <laughs> I kind of separated us. Everybody knew. Everybody at convention, all my friends, Lamont, and everybody, they were all kind of in on what was happening. And she and I went back up to my room because I had said that I had forgotten something of it. So I had, what did we have? Did we have wine or beer or something in the room? There's wine or beer up in the room. And I said, hey, can you go and get some ice so I can put this stuff on ice while we go back downstairs? She left the room and I, I just put the ring on top of the dresser and just left it open. Trying to see if she'd even notice that it was there. And she was sitting on a chair that was right next to the dresser. So she came in, brought the ice, put it in the bathroom, in the, in the, the cooler that we had in there, and then sat down right next to it, right next to her head. Didn't and even see it. Never didn't... knew. <laughs> not, not at all. I just put it there. And we just had, we were having a conversation and, and we were pretty much, we were across the room because I was you sitting. You were over by the window. Yeah, I was over by the window and, you were, and I was just sitting there just watching this, trying to see how long it was going to take. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're, 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 you're playing this a little too cool. You're not nervous at all. Well, I mean, you had already talked to my dad. I had already talked to her. Well, nervous for different reasons. So I, I spoke to her dad and I told him that that was my intention. And he said, Mark, are you sure about that? And I said, yes. He said, do you know what you're getting into? And I was like, I thought I did, but he is like, if you think you know and you think you're sure, you have my blessing. And I was like, all right, maybe I'm a little nervous at this point. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what was going on. Man, but, dad, uh, dad is either, I, I can't figure it out yet, either the worst salesman in the world or the best. I can't, it's it's one or the other. There's no in between there. 
but even just though, honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, uh, your dad for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you do obviously all jokes, but but even <laughs> even when you know the answer is going to be yes, there's still nerves. Oh yeah, there were definitely nerves. I just okay. was I was going to see. Like, that's my personality. I like to have fun pretty much with everything that I do in every aspect, but my personal life, I like to have fun with the things. And you know, people do it the same way all the time. And like, I might be the least romantic person you'll ever meet in your life, I would say, most likely. She'll tell you that. I'm not something that I have to work on. I know I have faults, everybody does. But you know, I, I just wanted it to be kind of fun, see how long this was gonna take for her to be, how observant she was gonna be. And she finally turned around and sees it. And she was like, what's this? To look like <laughs> what does it look like and uh she was like oh this is beautiful I said wait, wait what's it for and i looked at her i said so will you <laughs> and she was like she you know tongue-tied dumbfounded it was just like how we usually like whenever something happens on a personal level with her she can't find the words to actually speak you know so and it was it was so obviously she said yes to a little while. She's like, are you serious? Are you, are you telling the truth? Are you being serious? Are you being honest? It's like, yes, that's why I'm doing this. So I said, so will you? <laughs> and she, obviously she said yes, and the rest is history. I mean, we, we waited a little while. Michelle, Michelle, did you have any inkling that he was going to propose to kind of a two part, right? Any inkling that he was going to propose at all, but during that time frame, like, at convention or December-ish, you know? Um, I mean, we had talked about getting married. We kind because we had discussed, you know, at, at the time I was perfectly happy in New Hampshire and Mark had a great thing at Yale. So we had talked about, you know, what does our future look like in terms of like, if we do get married, are we going to stay three hours apart? Or are we just going to continue to make this work? And, you know, we weren't, 25 trying to figure this all out so it was just kind of like yeah you know we're good with it and everybody thought we were kind of crazy but it worked yeah and again i mean we were we had been married before right so it was it, it was different in terms of the second time around so yeah and you know we each had a house and so it was kind of like i had a place in new haven he had a place in hanover um it's like I went to spring break with their team one year. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was just like all my kids knew it. They'd be like, Coach D, and like kind of like try to be quiet mm -hmm. and vice versa. I, heck, I was doing like some sports psych with some of the girls on his team yeah. um, even then. So we just had a great situation. And so we had talked about it, but I had no idea like when, where, what, nothing. And all my friends down downstairs in the lobby knew. Because I had told them prior to, and it was Hall of Fame dinner night, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so we were all dressed nice, and um, we had gone down. Well, no, we started to go downstairs, mm -hmm. and then Mark was like, "Hey, um, meet me here." Da da da. I forgot. I think you said you forgot your watch, which you did. Probably did. Yeah. And um, he's like, "I need to run up to the room, grab my watch, and we have a glass of wine. We still have some time." I was like sweet now you're talking <laughs> so we went up there and um yeah so i had no no i mean the pictures from that night 
I remember exactly what I had on everything. And like every picture, my smile is from like ear to ear. My face is bright red because I was just like so happy. (laughs) What did you think when you turned your head and finally saw the ring? Like, did it instantly hit you? Like, oh, this little booger. (laughs) No, no, not at all. I was kind of like, because it wasn't Christmas. Christmas was like another week and a half away. And Mm -hmm. I was, I was actually pretty confused because all I had, and if you look at my hand right now, I actually have a diamond on, but all I had ever said was I've already had a diamond. You don't have to spend all that money. I want a non-traditional ring. Music to my ears. So that made him happy. And he was like, well, what do you mean non-traditional? And I was like, I'll take anything. Like, I just, whatever is good for me. And because the whole ECU thing does run very, very deep, um, he actually designed my ring. So it was like, um, it has two black diamonds and an amethyst in the middle. Um, Me being so dainty. um, I have another ring that I got later and that's what I'm wearing now. But I found a way to shear off a whole side of my amethyst. Uh Uh-huh. Um, I couldn't figure out why my hair or why Maddie's hair kept getting stuck in my ring when I was braiding it every night. And finally, one night I was like, what the, oh my, only me. I swear to goodness gracious, only Michelle Clayton. So it's getting repaired right now. But um, anyways, so I was just like, this is really cool. And I was like, Mark? And he was like, yes. And I was like, Clearly, this this is for me. It's purple, but what? And he was like, do you like it? I was like, why, yes. And then finally, he was like, so will you? And I was like, serious? Really? Are you, what? You want me to marry you? And I was like, will you take it out of the box and put it on? You remember that? Yeah. I wouldn't put it on myself. I was like, will you take it out of the box, please, and put it on, please, please, please? Yeah. And that was the and that was it. Wow! So yeah, USTFCCA convention where love blossoms. <laughs> <laughs> where was that? What, Orlando, San Antonio, uh, Phoenix. Orlando. Was that one back in Orlando? I think it was in Orlando. It was Orlando. Okay, Orlando. Orlando. Sure. It was one of three choices back then. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and yeah. it definitely wasn't San Antonio. You sure it wasn't Phoenix? You sure it wasn't? We did it. It because- wasn't Phoenix. Sorry, it wasn't Phoenix. It was Phoenix. Yes. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a good choice of a ring too. I like, I like unique rings. Michelle, you sound like the type of person that those uh, silicone bands were invented for. Oh, yeah. yeah, I knew you had yours. We both both own like one of every color pretty much. Yeah. That's definitely what I need to uh, get back to. I don't know why I decided to be like girly chick chick this year and start wearing my ring more and I guess I learned the hard way. Well, there's so. a place for that for sure, but they are not the most, um, uh, you know, uh, sturdy for a lot of other activities. You know, you don't want to go riding your bike wearing that. You don't want to be in the weight room. Uh, I mean, you yeah. need that for like, oh, I'm going to go to dinner or something like that. That's way right. AIM, AIM wears her, yeah, her, her wedding ring most of the time, not the engagement ring because it's, you know, it has the, right. the diamond on it or whatever. And uh, 
but you know, half the time she, you know, she's busy doing stuff. So she doesn't wear it at all. And I'm like, whatever. And like, we're still married. And that the ring don't mean anything as yeah. far as marriage. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's already paid for. I'm still paying for the marriage, you know, the, <laughs> the relationship I'm still paying and working on that part. That one doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> nope, nope. Those bills always still come. So as you guys are engaged and there's a lot of excitement that goes along with that and uh, planning, of course, uh, along that same time frame, you are interviewing for a couple of different jobs, one being the most important job. Um, how did this questions for Michelle, how did that play into your plans as far as what you thought, where you guys would end up? Were you, I was at, I was at camp. I was working at camp and Mark calls me. Um, I was in Rhode Island. Yeah. Working camp. And Mark calls me and cause it was like, he kept checking, like, you know, just looking at jobs and head coaching jobs and so on and so forth. Cause he, he had made that like known the year before, like he really wanted to get his own program and give it a try and um, kind of, you know, spread his wings that way. And so he was just checking things out and here I am at camp sweating my tail off my phone rings and it was him. So I didn't answer it. And then he called right back. And I was like, Oh God, is something wrong. So I was like, sorry guys, one second. So I answer it. And this is exactly how the conversation went. I was like, Hey babe. Hey, <laughs> yes. Troy. That's all he said. I said, apply. He said, huh? I said, it's in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. They have dang good throwers apply. I thought about myself immediately. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I think you're forgetting the most important part of this right now. And he was like, uh, uh, okay. I said, they've had some really good sprinters too. I was like, just apply, see how it goes. And uh, good heavens. Then we were at Princeton camp working together, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, and they called. Yeah. And it had been weeks. weeks. I mean, I think a month, four, four weeks had gone by and I hadn't heard anything. I was like, well, I guess that wasn't going to happen. And he's like, and, I uh, guess we're going to stay. I well, guess. actually, no, that isn't true because Troy had called, Sandy had called me and we were talking about, she was trying to schedule a phone interview. We ended up on the phone for about an hour. She goes, well, I guess that'll serve as your phone interview. I said, okay, no problem. <laughs> and then she said, we'll be back in touch when we're ready to start set, setting up on campus interviews. And like I said, four weeks go by then. I was like, all right, well, I guess that one didn't work so well. They were going on vacation the following week. Yep. So I was like, oh, of course, this is going to happen. And lo and behold, it did. Yeah. And we were at the Princeton camp. They called. They, they scheduled the interview. It came down. And, you know, it was, it was a good interview. I had, that was, I think, honestly, the best interview I think I've ever given. Um, I was nervous because I didn't know what was, I didn't know what was happening. You know, I didn't know what kind of questions to expect for, you know, a place like this because it was so different for me it was, it was just a completely different place than where I was coming from um but you know and then I came back and like my head was just it was on fire just because it's all the questions and the amount of people that I met with and um even with my Yale interview it was an assistant coaching position so I didn't meet with as many people I certainly didn't meet the, the president of the university or chancellor of the university at that time I mean it was it was just a different experience and uh I got back and I was like I think I liked it down there. It wasn't, it was not bad. I, I liked, I liked what I saw. I liked what they were saying. I said, there were some drawbacks in terms of staffing and things like that, but we can make it work. You know, if you go down there and you have any type of, of gumption and just want to get your hands dirty, it's the place to go, you know, and that's, that's what we've, what we've done and, and have enjoyed, we have enjoyed it the whole time we've been down here. You know? 
know, it's, it's been, like I said, there's some rough patches and it's, it's been work, but you know, the amount of work that we've done, I knew I wasn't gonna be able to do this unless she was here with me though. Like in terms of starting something pretty much from, from scratch. And, and that's basically what we did. I mean, we had to, we had to start all over again. It's paid off. Definitely paid off. So you mentioned the, um, I'll call it the camaraderie of the Ivy league coaches. And so mm-hmm. you were, uh, you'd already gotten scheduled to come down for your interview. You hadn't come down yet for the actual interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right. you know, a good friend of all of ours, uh, Mark Mangiacotti. And Mark said, mm-hmm. hey, I know a guy who knows a, a lot about Troy. Maybe do you want to call him? And so uh, he gave you my phone number. And so I, I remember uh, like it was yesterday, I'm in Sacramento for nationals. And so I'm up, yeah. I'm, I'm doing what I do best when we set up for track meets. I'm up in the hospitality suite uh, while everybody else is. <laughs> uh, but I'm up there and the phone rings and, uh, and you know, I, I try to put everybody I can in my phone nowadays, but back then I did not have your phone. I did not, I'm so sorry. I did not know who you were, Mark Davis. I'm sorry. It's terrible. terrible. And uh, so you call, hey, uh, my name is Mark Davis. Uh, mutual friend of ours, Mark Mangiacotti said, I should probably call you. He says, you're a, you know, a little bit about Troy you used to work at Troy. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I, I know Troy, buddy. I was like, like, like that's might be one of my favorite things to talk about. Sure. Yeah. And so uh, you're like, well, I'm going down to interview and I just had some questions and, and I don't remember your questions were pretty, pretty standard questions, you know, like, Hey, what did you think about it while you were there, Mike and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I'm telling you how like freaking awesome. I'm like, you know, it changed my life and da da da, you know, <laughs> And you're like, oh, all right, thanks. Cool, cool. And uh, so you got done. And I was like, well, uh, Mark, I was like, well, you okay if I ask you a couple of questions? And you're like, yeah, sure. I was like, so uh, I was like, I really just got two questions. Or no, I think I only had one question. I said, uh, so you coach at Yale, right? <laughs> now I grew up in the South. <laughs> we, uh, yep, you, you know, we, there, there, when I was coming out of high school, there was no thoughts of going to Harvard and Yale. Like that was like that, uh, that, that might as well have been Mars. Like there was no, we didn't go to schools like that. So, you know, I'm like, Yale, man, you go, you, you work at Yale. And you're like, yeah. And I was like, all right. I was like, well, I got good news and I got bad news. And you said, oh, okay. Uh, what's, what's the good news? And I was like, well, I said, uh, you ain't going to have to worry about 32 ACTs and uh, whatever the SAT, I, you know, I don't even know what that, I can barely spell the SAT, right? But I was like, you ain't got to worry about recruiting right. that highest level of, of academic kids. I was like, that's good. And you're like, oh, that's good. That's good. And you're like, well, what's, what's the bad news? And I was like, oh, you will always be concerned with academics. Like, like I think I even asked you, I was like, <laughs> I was like, do you even do study hall at Yale? And you're like, nah, not really. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you will always have study hall, man. It's like, like that's a given. Yeah. Through senior year, you might have some kids that graduate and you still need to put them in study hall. Like, that's just like, you're going to have it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that is, yep. Day to day, I'm sweating. But I, mean, I was, no study hall. But I was really impressed with, uh, first of all, for you reaching out to me, honestly. I mean, there's some people, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was and am, you know, sales guy, Gil, what, what's the matter what my opinion was when I was there. And, you know, I was an undergraduate assistant coach there. So it's not like I was a full-time, you know, paid staff and things like that. Uh, but that you sought out my opinion. Uh, like it, it, it not only did it mean something to me because it's a university that I love dearly, uh, but it was more about like, Oh, it's what it said about you. It's like, Oh, this is the kind of guy who like, if, if, if he has the ability, no stone will go unturned to make the right decisions. 
Like, you know, if, if, if no one knew me, they couldn't get you in touch with me, then, you know, that was okay. But since Mark was like, oh yeah, I know a guy, you might want to talk to him. You're like, all right, well, this guy might not be able to offer me anything to help me make a decision, but I'll, you know, let me hear him out and ask him some questions. So it just meant a lot to me. Uh, it spoke volumes about you and your preparation uh, on how you conduct yourself. Um, you mentioned, so you've been there, was this past year, the seventh year or sixth year? Seven. Yeah. Seven. Seven. So you're going on. We're in seven now. Yeah. Okay. So we're in seven year. And um, even with the shortened year last year, you know, runner up on the um, women's side indoor, which I think, well, I know highest, highest placing in the Sun Belt that we've mm -hmm. ever had. Um, I can't even, I, I don't even remember us having an indoor conference back when I was there, when we were attack and um, uh, what was the other conference? Yeah. Atlantic Sun? Uh, Atlantic Sun, yeah, ASUN, yeah. Um, but we won some uh, outdoor championships on both men and women's side, but for sure, right. since the Sun Belt, and the Sun Belt has gotten, I mean, it was a good Big. conference, and it is it's a really good conference now, uh, especially with the additions mm -hmm. of, um, was it Texas State and someone else were kind of the newest members, I think it was, right? Um, App State. Yeah, App State, yeah, yeah, that's right, another solid team, right? Um, yeah. When you got in there, uh, especially because you know you have uh, at least one assistant that you can really count on, right? <laughs> you got Michelle. Did you mm -hmm. think that you were going to be able to change things much quicker than you did? And, and I don't mean that in a slight, meaning that, oh, why didn't this happen in year two or three? I, I assume that maybe the, the thought process, the plan was to happen in two or three, but, but real life happens and it right. takes year six and year seven. Uh, Talk to us about that right. process of what the expectations you had and then the reality and how did you continue to stay motivated and continue tweaking your plan to where you got to where you are today as a staff and as a team? Right. I think when I first, when I first knew and realized that I was actually moving to Alabama, coming to Troy and having the ability to have, you know, anybody that we wanted to look at had the opportunity to come to Troy you know, just obviously you you hit the nail on the head. Thirty two ACT over three seven three eight. You know, it, you didn't have to necessarily worry about that. And I remember one of my first things I did was I got something for a kid. I took my transcript over to the academics side, over to academics, and I was like, "Do you think this kid will be able to get in?" And they're looking at it and they're looking at me and they're like, "Why wouldn't he be able to get in?" You know. It, so my mindset was completely different. You know. You know, so I realized I didn't have to put as much emphasis on on reading the applications like I was at Yale, like before I even presented it. So that was one of the things that eased my mind a little bit in terms of recruiting. So we got past that part. Um, I did think it was going to be a shorter process because of that, you know, being able to get different athletes in, different caliber athlete in. I thought it was going to take a little bit shorter of a time frame. Things don't always happen the way you want to. Um, and I think that when I, one thing about me is if, if I get my mindset on doing something, I'm just going to keep kind of grinding. And I, I, I was fortunate enough to have enough people around me that wanted to, wanted to do what I was looking for and share the same vision I had for the team, you know, and, and our grad, grad assistants, you know, they did a bulk of the recruiting for sprints, jumps, hurdles for, for us. You know, they did a lot of identifying, talking, most of it, and bringing kids into campus. And you're not going to find that very often because the structures don't dictate that. You know, we 
they are counters when it comes down to recruiting. And, you know, with us only having at the time three full-time staff members, you, you have to utilize that. And, you know, I have always heard coaches say you have to let your coaches coach. And that's what I have tried to do. And part of the coaching job is got to let them recruit too. You know, they see, they see talent. They see how they, how kids move and how they operate and they get to know kids. It, it's a great, it's a great thing. So um, I think getting the pieces in, in place, I think that's helped us a lot. We've gotten a lot of good, uh, you know, sprinters and hurdlers and stuff over the past couple of years. And, you know, Kids, uh, coaches like Ronaldo Radlin and Josh Fiat and Camille Alexander, you know, they've they've helped out, you know, obviously Elliot and Michelle, they were the full time people. But at that time, we only had one full time or two full time people. Um, so it has helped us tremendously to be able to move to where we've gotten, which we're still not done yet. We're still looking to, to definitely improve. Um, we've done so much work on, on the, the back end too. Like there's so many things that we end up doing that a lot of coaches and a lot of places you don't have to do, you know I mean? It's, we, we are grinding on a regular basis. And I think that's why we've done what we've done. Um, the kids see that we're always there. The kids see that we can, we, we can always be reached and we're always there if they need us. Um, you know, I think administration sees that we're not afraid to get our hands dirty and do things ourselves. And I think there's, that's why we've, we've gone forward and we've made the strides that we've made. So um, I, I am happy with the progress because God knows there are some, some big time struggles at times. And, you know, sometimes you do question yourself, like, what did I get myself into? How did it, how, what, what am I doing? But um, you know, just keep seeing that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I will tell you, that these kids have responded so well at the right times. You know, if, if you look at the end of, of each season, when it comes down to them having to compete at the championship meet, they are ready to go. It could be hairy at the beginning of the year, but you know, at the end of the year, when it comes down to championships, usually they step up and do what we need them to do. And you see that like some of the frustration that you had and, and some of the, the, I don't know. I don't want to say ill feelings, but some of the negative feelings you had throughout the season, maybe some things you were saying were it was sinking in with these kids. Um, I think communication is or has been much, much better than what it was before. And kids will be kids. You know, there's always going to be something that's going to come across your desk that you don't want to have to deal with. But, you know, it's just you're going to have it. You're going to have to deal with it. You have to move forward and just have to how see, see how things play out as you go forward. It's a lot like a hundred meter dash, right? They don't give out the 10 points at the 30 meter line or the 60 meter line. It's who's leading at the hundred meter finish line, right? So a season is a lot like that. They don't give a conference championship in March or April <laughs> or the beginning of oh, May. Yeah. It's, it's a process to get to that finish line, to that, uh, that outdoor conference championship. Uh, and then for the individual athletes, they go on to nationals. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the different staff members you've had and you've had some, you know, amazing, it's, it's so fun. I love, uh, I love talking about and talking with the, uh, the Troy coaching tree. You know, we've had uh, guys and gals before you guys like Sean Williams and JJ Downs and such. And, uh, and then Brad, of course, and Josh, I mean, just in uh, Elliot who, uh, yeah, I'm, you guys must be doing something right that Elliot's still there. And I mean that in all the good ways, because Elliot is a, is a superstar that will, if he wants to have his own program, will have his own program one day. I mean, mm -hmm. 
the pedigree from his athleticism, obviously, to just who and how he is, is uh, it's just evident. The first time I met him, I was like, oh, like, you know, I, mean, I think the world mm -hmm. of Troy. And I was like, are you too good for a Troy? Like, and I'm, and I'm saying that wasn't his attitude. It was more me like, dude, what are you doing here, man? Like you, it's the same way I think of our basketball arena at Troy. I'm like, what's that doing in Troy? Like that's supposed to be at uh, Duke, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, UNC and stuff. I was like, this in Troy? That's amazing. It's awesome. Uh, it's really mm -hmm. amazing. So, uh, you know, you guys obviously have great relationships with a lot of people. And uh, we had a question that came from Twitter and I warned you that it came from Lamont Johnson. Um, and, you know, he, you know, Lamont's a smart guy. I almost, mm -hmm. said, I almost said, but you know what, but does when you say it in the middle of a sentence, right? It erases everything in front of it. So I don't want to say, but Lamont Johnson mm -hmm. is a smart guy and he asks some interesting questions sometimes on Twitter. So the mm -hmm. question's a pretty hard question for you to actually answer because of the way he asked it. But uh -huh. Lamont asked, he asked me to ask you about the hidden deal that you and Lamont have. Now it's a hidden deal. So for you to tell me the answer, it has to unhide, has to be unhidden. So I'm not sure you can answer that question. I, I really can't. I got to keep that between Mont and I. That's what we I can't, thought. Can't, 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 Mont, come on, man. I, I think what we he might knows. have to do, what the cool kids call, we might have to slide in each other's DMs and get the answer to this <laughs> hidden that you and Lamont have. <laughs> That boy is funny. He is a funny kid. Funny kid. I remember a couple of years ago, we were up in New York. Well, I say a couple of years ago, it was four years ago. We were up in New York and uh, it was over Christmas break. And we called Lamont and we were just like, hey, come on out, man. It was me and my brother, Michelle, and my sister in law. Mm -hmm. And we just went out in New York and just we had a fun time, man. That kid, <laughs> he was like, meet me at this hotel in the lobby. It's a really nice lobby. <laughs> what? You know how he is. It, I mean, we sat up and we just, we talked all night long. It ended up, everybody else went to bed. It ended up being just me, Mont, and my brother at the end of it. But mm -hmm. yeah, he's a great guy. We've known each other for, for years now. He gets, uh, you know, a lot of pass because he's a Troy coaching alum. So, uh, you know, he, he holds a special place in my heart just for that alone. <laughs> if you ever want secret, uh, secret hints and tips from Mike Cunningham, just work at Troy and you get everything, man. That's just whatever you want exactly. yes. yeah, you just get it all. well thanks uh yeah. i would do that and will do that no matter where you are but definitely helps because you're at my alma mater <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> uh, yeah i don't have this job if i don't have a degree from troy so you know I owe, I owe a lot to to that university that's for sure um well as we start to wrap up mark and michelle uh, there is one question that i had like if i was on the outside and i had to put in a twitter question this would have been my twitter question and it's for michelle so you grew up in North Carolina, you coached in North Carolina, you now have been at Troy for seven, going on eight years. Uh, why is the accent still like Boston? I mean, I don't understand where, uh, do you like listen to tapes of Boston people talking? So you have it? I mean, I just don't understand. I don't even know, I can't even say keep it because you grew up in North Carolina. So where, talk to me about this accent. Um, my family asked the same thing. I really, um, I, I just kind of contributed to, I was in North Carolina for a while. Um, but early on we were everywhere all over the Northeast. And when, so my dad worked a lot. I mean, there were four of us plus mom. And so literally school would get out like on a Friday 
And Sunday night, well, my mom liked to leave at the crack of dawn, like two, three o'clock in the morning, the five of us, the four girls and mom would load up in whatever vehicle we had and head to New York. And we'd essentially like, I used to go work out at the gymnastics gym up there. I mean, it was just like kind of our summer home, but it was at my aunt's house. Um, so we did that all the way through like my freshman year in high school. So all summer we'd be in New York and then we'd go back to wherever we were. Um, and then when I went to college, it just so happened, like all of my, we had a huge contingent, like our whole team was from New Jersey, I swear. Um, and my roommates, sorry, the nugget is on the trampoline crying. Um, <laughs> my, my roommates were softball players and they were from Ohio, Oregon, New York. It's just, I don't know. I never really like found that deep root in that North Carolina, I guess, because I was just still so, so remote. So yeah, my, my family's like, Michelle, what the heck? And then when I went back, when I went to New Hampshire, it just, it got worse. Um, there's enough, I never lived in Boston my entire life, but there was enough Boston influence there that I guess it just, I don't know. Because people will be like, where are you? And of course, down here, I open my mouth and it's just like, you're not from here, are you? Mm, no, sorry. <laughs> have you have you picked up any Southern slang? Like, do you say y'all? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. I won't say that one. He says it. I will not. Um, but say, yeah. Do like, you will the, we... uh, Do you say the very New England use guys? I do. Oh, yes. Yeah. Use guys. Yeah. 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 That's how you, that's I used how you, to say yin. That's how you get kicked out of the state yin. of Alabama. Yeah. Use guys, she was saying before she got the Dartmouth, too. So. Yeah. I've always said that. Like, that was something that never left me. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll be sitting on the couch. And because Maddie's accent, if we let her talk to you, unbelievable. She has frames, friends, not friends, but frames. 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 Yeah, it's real thick. You know, um, I wonder and, if that is a product of the age. So Cassidy is seven years old, uh, has grown up in Eastern central Illinois her whole life. Uh, I don't even know, I guess we've been South, but not for long or anything. You know, we went to orange beach a couple of years ago for a week or whatever. She has friends and she says things. Yes, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, are you like, you're more Southern than I am. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're not hearing the, like, I, I just don't understand where she gets this very Southern accent. It's amazing. It's mm -hmm. it, like, what was she singing the other, uh, she was singing this little light of mine. And she said, this little light of mine. <laughs> Is that our kids? Mark goes, Michelle, did you just hear that? I said, Mads, what are you singing? She said, this little lot of mine. I said, Oh my goodness gracious. Corrects me. So it, it is funny. It, so between the three of us, it, you can't ever tell where in the heck we actually came from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mark, you've got the, um, what they call the newscaster accent, meaning yeah. no accent. Like you, you I, yeah. I did not tell you grew up in, in, in Pennsylvania. You might as well have grown up. Uh, I can't even say Nebraska. Like I was trying to think, like right in the middle. But you, you mean you just have right that, in the yeah, yeah, right there, like the professional, the voice, right? Uh, 
you know, mm. Michelle, you seem like you still summer in Cape Cod or something <laughs> like that. And then, uh, and then Maddie is drinking her sweet tea, uh, sitting on the uh, porch. Oh, hanging with her friends. <laughs> hanging with her friends. That's right. That's right. Uh, all right, Mark, uh, yeah. this, this is the last opportunity. So, um, what do we got to do to get the saxophone out and just hear a couple of chords, a couple of notes? Give me, you got to give me some time. I got to get them fixed. They really don't. They're not in good condition to actually play. It's been a while. I didn't okay. play them at all over. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. But you did mention some bongo drums. Oh, we can get the bongos. No, we can't. Let's just leave that alone. So like sometimes we'll put on a, when Elliot comes on, if, we, if he does this, you know, I'll play some stuff for you. All right. That sounds good. Or I got a better one. I think... I think um, that he, when and if we appear in Eugene, Oregon in June, I think um, Mark should have to find a sax to rent and we should have to do a quick podcast of him playing. Yeah, there you go. Can you, <laughs> that's going to be the worst question <laughs> in the world. Can you play Ice Ice Baby on a saxophone? I do. That would be a hard one. Because if be, you can, be, I, I can, I, I'll do the karaoke for it. <laughs> we will work on it. Oh, we yeah. will be ready. I promise. I forgot about promise. that. I say it's been too many weeks. I have, no, I have not been able to talk about Rob on the podcast. So I had to, yeah, I had to, I had to get it there with the vanilla ice. The reference. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, guys, thank you so much. Uh, I'm just, so, you. honestly, you know, it's, uh, you know, your journeys as individual, as, as, as coaches, not just track coaches, but as coaches is phenomenal uh, and, and really, you know, groundbreaking in a lot of cases, not just you, Michelle, you as well, Mark, uh, a lot of the things that you're doing, you know, um, are modeled after other people and what you do now gives is the model for more people, more people get to see people like themselves achieving success in their professions. And that, that emboldens people to, to know that they're, um, that there, there is no ceiling. There is definitely perceived ceiling and people put ceilings on others, but in reality, you know, any of us can do anything in a lot of contexts. And so seeing your examples and having Maddie seeing your guys' examples, not only professionally, but personally, uh, as you know, as a happy marriage unit, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that changes lives. You know, Maddie's life will be changed and be positive. The kids on your team have these examples. They will go on to have, uh, you know, a healthy example of, of what a marriage should look like and what a, two people working together and parenthood and things like that. They'll get to go on and move on and, and, uh, and achieve success because of the examples that you guys set. So I'm just so, so thankful that you'd uh, spend some time with us today and, and share your story with others that will be impacted uh, by, the, by the journey you've gone on. We appreciate you oh, having thank us. Thank you so much. Uh, well, I was going to do today's outro in a Boston accent, but I'm going to just let that go and just do my normal, regular, uh, you know, just be thankful that I don't have my Southern voice that I used to have pretty, pretty bad uh, back in the day. Maybe I'll tell that story one day, but uh, for now, that's a wrap. So I <laughs> uh, just want to thank Michelle and Mark so much for being here today. Uh, really appreciate your authenticity uh, and your openness to share with us. I mean, you literally opened your house to us today. You know, we got to have uh, cameos by Maddie, who we love to death, and even Petey made a, an appearance. So if you want to see this lovely family, uh, this, you want to go on YouTube and check it out. Uh, otherwise, you just have to deal with their accents and deal with it here on the audio portion only. So uh, if you've enjoyed today's episode, uh, it would really mean the world to all of us if you would consider subscribing to the show. That way you'll know exactly when we publish episodes on a weekly basis. And even more importantly, if you found value in today's conversation, and I 
I know I did. So I truly hope you did as well. There's probably others in your network that would receive value as well. So uh, if you would just take a second, hit that share button, uh, share it on Facebook, Twitter, smoke signals, whatever you like to use out there for social media, that would uh, just mean the absolute world to me uh, and to our guest today as well. And then otherwise, man, I'll see you next week. We're going to do it again. We're going to connect with another awesome coach, maybe two of them, who knows, maybe we'll make this a series. So thank you so much for being here today. Appreciate you guys very, very much. We'll see you next week.